Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. It is gift giving season. Time to book some hunts and time to buy some swag. Jeff, we don't, there's no more room to book hunts unless you're doing it for well, 2023. I've got some January dates I still can work in. I could do a couple of pheasant hunts around Christmas time, but yes, we are pretty much to the max. But if you go to stanfieldhunting.com and you go to store. Now we do have swag. We have swag for sale on the site. We've got a ton of swag left for Christmas. If you want to get it shipped to you, guaranteed to be there by Christmas, I have no idea when that is, but I would get done in the next week or two. Do it now. Stanfieldhoney.com and go to go to the store, and you can check out right there. You pay right there through credit card, PayPal, whatever you want to do, and you can pay right there, and it shipped directly, and we ship every two days. So go to stanfieldhunting.com. Easy enough. Next, we are brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. It's how we start our day out here every single day. The Missouri Boat Ride Blend is our coffee of choice. And let me tell you, we're going through a lot of it right now, and everybody is excited about it. Now, listen, there's a couple ways that you can save. You can get, you can sign up for their subscription services. Uh, coffee will automatically deliver to your door. You can save 20% off at checkout by signing up for the subscription service. Or you can use the promo code BIGHONKER, and you can save yourself 15% off at purchase. It makes a great stocking stuffer. Get you a couple pounds for that loved one that's coffee lover. Easy present. Dad would rather have that than a tie. 100%. Get him some coffee, something like that. Coffee's so. the new cigar. I'm telling you right now, as a dad, if someone sends you some coffee, you're going to be like, hey, I got that coffee. I'm going to go make me a cup of coffee. Do it. You appreciate it. Yes. You appreciate it. Cigars so, are out. Coffee's in. There's a couple ways to save. Go to dirty.coffee.com right now. Uh, we are also brought to you by Double T British Kennels. Another great little thing. Puppies make cute presents. Oh, best present in the world. And if you really, if you have an ex, if you have an ex-wife and she's got custody of the kids, there's no way, better way to piss her off than buying her by a puppy. I'm, I'm honest. That's honest to God right, truth. Yeah. Really want to piss off your ex by the kids a puppy. And the kids are the kids are going to look at you like you're the coming of Christ whenever That's right. you hand them that puppy. So Double T British Kennels has dogs uh, of every shape and size, started dogs, puppies. Uh, they they got it all. So go check them out. Double T British Kennels. It would make a great Christmas present. I, I'm just telling you. Out of this world. Also, we're brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. The uh, Into the Vault sale is closing soon. So you need to go through there and see if there's anything that you want to make a bid on. I've got a bid in right now, and it looks like I might win this son of a bitch, Jeff. So, so what'd, you, what'd you buy? Don't worry about it. I don't want to jinx okay. it, and I don't want people is hearing this. Is it a Christmas this. gift for me? No, it's not well, at all. Damn. It's going to go in the podcast room. So uh, check out Into the Vault. And listen, if, if you ever want to feel good about giving money to an organization, 85 cents out of every dollar that is raised from Ducks Unlimited goes right back into Habitat. They're a great organization, and they know how to spend their money wisely. So support them, because they help the duck numbers more than anything. And we need that. Uh, also, we are brought to you by the Hunt Proof app. We're right in the middle of waterfowl season here in the southern part of the country. And I am filling up the Hunt Proof app. It is an easy way to electronically log your hunts. You can put pictures at the end. It tracks the weather for you. It's a great, uh, it's a great journaling method. There is a free version and there is a paid version. Don't be a tight ass by the paid. <laughs> So there you go. But either way, download the Hunt Proof app and start logging your hunts because there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to you're going to want to tell your grandkids about how big of a badass you are killing ducks and geese. This will be the proof. Yep. And trust me, I went back and found some old stuff that I had written down years ago. Didn't kill near the birds I thought I had. The glory days were not, not, not all, as glorious as I thought they were. Not always that good. Nope. So get it. And then uh, when somebody calls bullshit, you can prove them wrong. We're also brought to you by the Looking Glass Podcast. They have a Patreon site. You can go to their Patreon account, uh, give a little bit of money, and you will have their entire library. The bourbon reviews, uh, the debauchery that goes on over there, Logan and Rebel are great, great guys. 
and we will see them, I guess, in a couple weeks. But you can uh, subscribe to their Patreon account, and you can get the whole the whole library. It makes a long road trip even better. So go check them out at uh, Looking Glass Podcast on Patreon right now. Also, we're brought to you by Alpha Outdoor Specialties. If you've got uh, something in mind that you want to see built that's going to change the waterfowl world, go to Alpha Outdoor Specialties. You can send them uh, kind of what you have in mind. And they'll build it for you. Makers of the Stanfield Stool. Uh, but they are a great company. And they got a lot of cool things coming out to uh, revolutionize the waterfowl industry. Also brought to you by Bangtail Whiskey. You're talking about another great little gift. Bangtail Whiskey is not for the faint of heart. Bangtail embodies a select few who believe in hard work and relish in the opportunity to take a step back to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Whether relaxing for a midweek swaller or communing on the weekend with quality people bangtail is sure to provide a truly unique and tasteful experience time and time again with deep southern roots bangtail provides a first class handcrafted whiskey experience pour a jigger of bangtail and enjoy must be 21 years or older to enjoy but dad or have a cousin dad and yeah that alcoholic uncle Mm. he wants bangtail so get him that and watch him get drunk. Coffee and, and make coffee and whiskey. That's the best gifts there are for him. Put them yeah. together. Yep. Put them together and make it through the holiday seasons. Uh, we are also brought to you by Shin Gear Waiters. They're not just a waiter company anymore, ladies and gentlemen. They are changing the waterproof. Uh, they got a waterproof jacket out. I got it last week, and I am sad to say that I had to use it a lot earlier than I thought, meaning I had to use it, period. Uh, but do not like hunting in the rain, but you stay dry. I did stay dry the entire time. And their secret product that's coming out that maybe not that might not be so secret anymore. It also kept me dry. So listen, if it's if you're hunting anywhere near water, sheet water, rain, whatever, Shin Gear has got a product that will keep you dry. And that is the most important thing out there because I can be cold or I can be wet, but I don't want to be both at the same time. Their waders are out of this world. The boots are phenomenal on the waders. Comfortable, comfortable stuff, and uh, they're a great company. Proud to be associated with them. So check them out at shingear.com. Also, we are brought to you by Lucky Duck. The best spinners on the market and the best blinds that are on the market. The Lucky Duck 2x4 blind fits four grown men. We got crane hunts coming up this weekend. We're going to throw those tops on them, and we're going to be invisible. And then the duck hunters are going to use duck spinners, and they've got something for everybody. So not just waterfowl hunters. They've also varmint. got a great varmint line, coyotes. Dog crate. Thing. Dog crates, five-star crash test rated. I mean, you could spend your whole Christmas allowance over there at Lucky Duck. So go check them out. They've got incredible products. LuckyDuck.com. Also, we are brought to you by Pacific Calls. You can use the promo code BHP25. that saves 25% off at checkout. My favorite lesser call, my favorite Canada call, period, the BA lesser call. It rips. It's got a lot of low-end volume, and it's fast response, high pitch, and it's what you need for lessers. Uh, The PCD is my favorite duck call on this entire planet. Single read, screams at them. You're not going to find a better duck call anywhere. So go check them out at PacificCustomCalls.com. Use the promo code, save 25% off. And get a couple stocking stuffers for those uh, people that you love the most and save a little bit of money. We're men of the people here. We're saving you money. PacificCustomCalls.com. Also, we are brought to you by Gundog Outdoors. I hope that you took advantage of the Black Friday and Cyber Monday sale. If you did not, you still need... Get the first aid trauma kit. The field trauma kit. It's got everything you need. Stop bleeding, warm up a dog, cool down a dog or person... 
Uh, it's got gauze, it's got scissors, it's got, uh, staplers in it. So like it's got everything that you need. Alex Mm -hmm. is a retired first responder and he knows what you need to stay safe. And so when you buy the spouse, the puppy with the, for the kids, get them a field trauma kit to get the field trauma kit. I use the uh, quick release system every single morning. I hook Lou in and it's easy to use. He doesn't go anywhere until I want him to go somewhere. And, uh, yeah, that's just the way that we do things. So no matter how qualified your dog is, accidents happen, dogs break. So get the field, get the field trauma kit and then get the quick release system. And they've got a lot of other good stuff for dogs. So just go check them out. Uh, gun dog outdoors. Also brought to you by the best silhouettes on the market. Dive bomb industries. They've changed the game. Skinnies are back in style silhouettes. It's the way to go. We use them every single day out here. And it keeps, it's an easy way to keep your trailer organized, get the bags, they pack up perfectly. Many days, it makes the life so much easier. It really does. It really does. You can throw five dozen over your, you can throw 10 dozen, uh, five dozen in each bag right over your shoulder, walk on out there. So, I mean, you basically can carry an entire spread with two or three people. Yeah, bad water, bad, bad road days, you can get into places, you're not rutting up stuff, good way to go. Divebombindustries.com. Also, we're brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. Bismuth, copper-plated bismuth is the way to go. Uh, Pretty much everybody out here shoots it, and nobody has ever complained that Boss Shot Shells does not deliver. It's a great product made right here in America, made by great people. Uh, Brandon, Zach, Lee, they're all cream of the crop. And Don't forget Dirk. Don't forget Dirk, the man that makes the engine run up there at Boss Shot Shells, but it's great. Less cripples this way. Shoot once and uh, be done with it. BossShotShells.com. They've got an incredible social media game, and they've got uh, amazing swag if you just want a hoodie or something like that. So go check them out at BossShotShells.com. And our newest, our newest sponsor, Mossberg. Stepped up for the Gold Star Kids, provided guns for them. Proud to have them part of Season 2 of the First Family of Waterfowl and to have them part of the Big Honker Podcast. Yep, we are, we've been shooting the... 940 Waterfowl. And it is, it's a great gun. It's a, it's a smooth shooting gun. And, uh, I really, really like it so far. It's held up to the test. Listen, I've always said, if you want to test a product or a shotgun or something new that you want to sell to the masses, torture test it out here in the sand and all, everything that we got out here. And so far they hadn't missed a beat. Nope. It saved two groups already when the guy's gun broke and then they started shooting a Mossberg. So <laughs> then it was saved the savior. So anyways, check out the 940 waterfowl gun from Mossberg. We appreciate all of our sponsors. We thank all each and every one of y'all. Hope y'all have a very safe and wonderful December. And if we don't do commercials before Christmas, have a Merry Christmas. All right, boys and girls, this episode, we are joined by Tyler Webster from the birds, buds and booze podcast. A uh, great guy. He's actually on his way to Arizona, so uh, we catch him kind of, kind of driving through. So really interesting guest, and we hope that you enjoy this episode with him. Here we go. Here we go. Three, two, one. 
Boom, and welcome to the Big Honker Podcast brought to you by Pacific Game Calls. I'm Jeff Stanfield with, I forgot, I was kept waiting for you to, did I screw this up on? With All the world ready. famous Andy Shaver. Specific, got any kind of promo code or anything? BHP25 saves 25% Yeah, check them out. Easy it's enough. a good Christmas gift. I'm telling you right now, if you're buying Christmas presents, you want to buy them coffee, a duck call, that's the two things to go get, or some booze. There you go. So you'll either go to Bangtail, Pacific, or Dirty Duck Coffee. With us today, in-house... In the big city of Knox City, Texas, <laughs> Mr. Tyler Webster with Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast. I got it right? Yes, sir. I damn, I usually screw something up. Yeah, and it, you got you, her. You're on YouTube also, aren't you? Yeah, I just Is started. The same the, handle? Yep, same thing on YouTube. I just started my YouTube channel. Uh, well, I've, I've been posting GoPro videos for right. years just because I like watching my dogs work during mm-hmm. the off season because I get bored. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I this year I decided to tra- take it a little bit more seriously and started putting some more stuff up. Yeah. How much does like the GoPro hinder you whenever you're out? Is it a headpiece or a chest piece? Headpiece. Yeah, I wear it. I wear a head strap right on top of my hat. Um, it doesn't bother me at all. It's kind of second, second nature, nature at now. this point. Yep. Yeah. Like when you first started, were you like, oh, this is a pain in the ass? Well... <laughs> I learned real quick when I first started, we were talking before we turned, before we came on, uh, how much I hate editing. Yeah. And, uh, so I used to just turn it on when I got in the field. Mm -hmm. First of all, GoPro batteries are shit. Uh, They're, they're getting much better now with the Enduro batteries and stuff like that. But after some years of doing it, I was like, shit, I'm just going to turn them on when the dogs go on point or the dogs start getting birdie. I mean, that's what everybody wants to see anyways. You know, you want to see, and that's what I want to see. Uh, I, I drive a lot of miles every year just watching my dogs go on point. That's the whole reason I do it. Uh, and so now, uh, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, it's, I, I've been doing, I shit. I think my first GoPro was a three or something like that. I got right. to 10 now. So I've been doing yeah. it for a while. Yeah. I, I remember when they first came out and I mean, it was just the, the battery life was shit on them. Garbage. And like, if it got cold at all, like forget about using it. Um, they've come a long way since the first inception of the GoPro, but everybody loved them. Oh yeah, I mean, what Still a game do, changer! Yeah. What a game changer they are! Yeah, I mean, like it's it's a ton of technology packed into a teeny little package, yeah. right? I mean, and uh, you know, now with uh, I I'm, I'm haven't upgraded to the eleven yet because you know what the hell's the point? Uh, right. I, I'm running the ten still, but with the enduro batteries on the ten, even in North Dakota where I'm from. You know, shit, I was hunting last week. It was six degrees outside, and one of those batteries, I still got like an hour of film time in four K. No, I mean, like you can't beat that. No, you know. It's, I, I don't know that an actual video camera has has a whole lot better. And I got 20 freaking batteries that I always carry with right. me, too. Well, and I mean, you can just set them up so easily. Like today, we had one in the kill hole facing the blind. We had two, one over this way, one over this way, and then two camera guys. But I mean, it's just, you know, you're not going to put a camera guy out there in the kill hole, you know, while people shoot over the top of you. But I, I put, mean, I think we lo- should sometimes because it would look really cool. Um, but put a GoPro out there. And, for sure. You know. Yeah, you know, and I, I don't do a ton of duck hunting, but the one thing that we did start doing a little bit this year is uh, I started putting a, a GoPro on a tripod, like right in front of the mojos, mm-hmm. like pointing up, and yeah. you can watch those things really coming in and finishing. Yeah. And uh, then I think we only hit two or three cameras with falling ducks, <laughs> but uh, worth it. The the introduction of the field camera like the GoPro and hunting has really changed the way that people look at things. Like I used to watch a film of like a, an airplane. And I used to love to watch from the pilot's view, you know, what he sees coming sure. in to land and stuff. And it's the same dynamics with the GoPro. You can look at different angles that you don't see, like to put them in a kill hole. Right. The camera in the kill hole is completely different because all you're seeing is these birds fixing land. All of a sudden, you get to see them getting crushed. Right. Or what, whatever it is. And it, it, it's changed, but it's also changed the hunter because you'll see so many guys that do it on their own that they're doing more stuff for the camera than they do the actual hunt. Yeah. And I, 
I can't, I, I'm, I'm always going to just be me. Mm-hmm. Like I've, and I've been, I've just like you guys, I've had the pleasure of doing a few TV shows and I'm going to be me no matter what. Like I yeah. just kind of forget after a couple minutes that the camera guy's even there. Uh, but like I talk to my dogs the same way I talk to my dogs, <laughs> whether the GoPro's on or not, you know, like, I mean, and I think that one of the things that people really do like, just like you're saying, it's that point of view where people are actually on the walk with you. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they're right. riding right on the hat, like they're seeing what you're seeing. Right. So you're seeing, you know, when I'm walking up to a dog on point, I'm anticipating where I think the birds are going to get up from. And the other really cool thing about the GoPros is you can take some really, really sick screen grabs out mm-hmm. of the video and you get those those moments where that pheasant or quail or hunt or whatever it is, is coming up right in front of the dog's face and it's right there. And that person gets to see that. And like, I mean, just like with you guys, uh, there's a lot of people that don't get a chance to do what we get to do as much as we get to do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that might get a lot more people wanting to go and have those experiences and seeing what that's actually like. Yeah. Do you have a real job also? Uh, I have a couple of mail contracts for the U S (laughs) government. But uh, I have really good employees. I have a, I'm I'm a contractor. They're subcontractors. They work for me. So that's what keeps the lights on. That's what lets me go chase birds 150 plus days a year. Because most people don't have real jobs that do this. No. Or what no. I call a real job. I have a real job, but it's not a real job. Sure. Eight I mean, to five it's, or it, Yeah, it's office. not a real. Yeah. When I, I mean, I've, I've been bird hunting since I was eight, and I had to go through, you know, my 20s. I was a bar manager, so I, I've always worked around trying to figure out jobs that I could be out in the field as much as I possibly could. So getting off work at two o'clock in the morning, going home and sleeping for five hours, getting up and going chasing birds all day, and then getting a little nap before you went back to work at five was how I did it in my twenties. And then I just, honestly, I just got stupid lucky. And, uh, um, I was sitting reading the paper back when people actually used to read papers. And there was a classified ad in there about a guy, uh, who was a contractor out of Kansas who had a route up. He needed a driver close to me. And he's like, well, I'll pay you this amount of money to go drive around the country. And I was like, Fuck, I pay that much to, I, I like, I pay way more than that to go do it on my own time, you know? So why not get paid for it? And then it just kind of evolved to, into now I got a couple of contracts and. Okay. And go ahead and enlighten me. How, how I'm, does I'm, that work? I'm, I'm sure. I'm curious about what you do then. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in the, in the really rural areas, I'm sure that like, I, I don't know if it, if that's the case here or not, but in the rural areas, like up in North Dakota, I get a lot of notifications for Wyoming, Utah, Oregon, all those kind of places. Uh, in the small town post offices, like in, in my post office in Stanley, North Dakota, there's four mail routes that go out of there. Two of them are ran by postal employees and the other two are contract routes. So, and I think that the government's going to, the post office in general is probably going to go to more of the contract routes because then they don't have to pay any benefits. I don't get health insurance, none of that kind of shit. Oh, they save uh, money that way. They save money. Yeah. They pay me a lump sum. Uh, and then the only kicker is, is that it has to get done every day. If you miss, so the contracts are six years long, and then once you get them, you can renew them forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and but if you miss two days over the course of a six-year contract, they can pull your contract. So you have to have people that you can depend on, or you have to do it yourself. Right. Um, and so when I got my first contract, me and my cousin got it together. We were thinking, you know, shit, we're going to be able to work thirteen days a month each <laughs> and be able to make a decent living. You know, there's about 25, 26 work days in an average month. You don't deliver on Sundays. You don't deliver on holidays. Uh, well, he got a girlfriend 
first mistake. Uh, <laughs> he started working less and less, and I started working more and more. And eventually it got to the point where I was like, dude, either you need to start doing a little bit more around here. He, he went back and was working for his parents uh, at their, they have a meat shop in Minot, North Dakota. And he was doing more of that. And I was like, dude, if you if you don't want to do this anymore, I'll hire somebody and I'll be able to pay them less than I'm paying you because you're a full partner in this right. deal. And when that happened, uh, he's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I don't want to drive an hour to work and an hour home every day. And uh, it was kind of like the serendipity moment in my life where I was like, ah, okay. So I'm making $300 a day off this route. I can pay somebody $150 to do it. I'm still making money when I'm not working. Right. And then the route right next to me came up for bid as well. And I got that one. And now I, um, I, I haven't worked since July. That's <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you have two routes. I got two routes. Yep. And you're making $300 a day and you don't have to do nothing. That's a good job. That's not bad. It's yeah, not it's bad. Fifteen hundred a week. Yeah. Or actually, that's so, more than that. It's eighteen hundred a week. Yeah. Work on Sundays. Not, well, we don't work Saturday. on Sundays. I mean, so I mean we work Sundays. on Saturdays. Yeah. So you're making eighty five thousand dollars a year and not working. That's about I'd right. I'd say it's fucking genius, right? Yeah, there. that's about right. It's <laughs> pretty damn good deal. That's a good, and that that's smart and, though. And, and then you know? what do you do? You just like hire, put out a wanted ad for like uh, in that area. Yeah. Just... So uh, the the two people that I got that were my main drivers, both of them were the only good thing that ever happened to me off Facebook. Uh, <laughs> I put out an ad in the local. Um, like classified ads. Um, so Powers Lake is a little town. It's about 20 miles from me. Mm-hmm. And both the ladies that work for me are both single moms. And they, they have to work. They have to work. And they like to, they can drop their kids off at eight o'clock in the morning. They get to work at 8.30 and they're done with work by 1.30 or two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And they're Perfect making 150 job. a day. 150 a day. And I provide the vehicle and the gas and all the repairs. That's a good deal. That's yeah, a really good deal. I mean, yeah. shit, that's... She's making seven hundred and fifty dollars a week or nine hundred a week. Everything's yeah. bring home. You yes. she doesn't have any overhead expenses. That's it. I want them to show up and drive. She and, thinks she hit the lotto. Yeah, and that's why I've had really good employees. I've I've had the same two girls. Uh, have been working for me now for three years, and then uh, I got backups for them as well that are kind of semi-retired people that just kind of want to work one day a week or if somebody right. gets sick or whatever, uh, because like I said, it has to go out. And so, uh, and plus when I'm gone doing this, you know, some things happen or people want to take a day off occasionally, I suppose. Uh, (laughs) uh, you cover vacation days and stuff ever? Uh, I do. So when I get back home on, from the trip that I'm on right now, I'll, uh, head back to North Dakota end of January. Um, and then when I get back over the course of the winter, if they want to take two weeks off and go on a vacation, go ahead. I'll run the routes. It doesn't pay them while they're gone too. No. No, um, but uh, the other thing that I do is, um, I learned this. I learned this lesson pretty quickly. Uh, that if you don't know the person before you hire them, you have to give them incentive to make sure that they show up every day, right? Yeah, other other than just paying them. Right. So when they sign a contract with me, they uh, if they work for two weeks and decide it's not for them and they want to quit, they don't get paid for the month. Mm-hmm. They don't get paid the days that they worked. Like each month is an individual contract. Right. So at the end of the month, they get paid for the whole month. Mm-hmm. If they if they if decide they... to quit mid mid month, and mm-hmm. it, I mean, and I kind of had to do that because I'm doing this kind of shit. Right. Yeah. But, you're you're not just hey, I'm not coming in tomorrow. Right. Like or, I I mean I I'm right now I'm 20 hours from home or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I can't just get a call today at three o'clock saying hey I'm done I'm not working anymore. Mm-hmm. And I mean I wouldn't be able to get back in time. Right. Like it's not possible. Right. So I come up with this idea to just make them sign a contract that each month as an individual contract if you guys want to you know give me your two weeks and if you guys want to be done you can be done i'll pay you you know all that kind of stuff 
but it's the only way that I could kind of protect myself to make sure that I did get the right people in. And it was the best thing I ever did. Did you learn that lesson the hard way or is that something that you figured out yeah. ahead of time? Yeah, no, uh, I hired a, uh, a young guy. He was like 20, 21 years old, which I was 20 and 21 and I wasn't reliable <laughs> at 20 and 21. So I should have known better, but I, I liked the kid. And, um, so like, it's, it's a, you know, it's one of those things that you're not really going to get for the first week, week and a half. Cause like our routes are 155 miles every day on gravel roads with like 120, 130 farmsteads in it. And you got to do it the exact way. Mm -hmm. So I mapped it out on GPS. And so you get in and you follow the blue line, every place there's a stop. You can hit the icon. It'll tell you what the address is, what the name is, all that kind of shit. But so for the first week, I kind of have to eat the the fact that I'm paying them uh, even a training wage and I'm taking my time mm -hmm. for the first week. Then the second week, they're kind of out there on their own. I'm by my phone answering any questions they have, if they have any problems or anything like that. Uh, and so I went through the first week training. Second week, he kind of did it by himself. I ended up having to help him out a lot. And then the last day, he's like, uh, it was like a Thursday or something like that. And it was actually when I was on this trip. Uh, I was, thankfully I was only in Kansas. I was only 15 hours away. Uh, he's like, yeah, I, I, this isn't for me. I'm done. I was like, can you finish out the next couple of days at least? Because right. I'm where I'm at and I got to get, I got to drive back home now. I got to drive 15 hours to get there. I won't make it by tomorrow to, to cover the route. And he's like, no, I'm done. Jeez. And so I had to, I had to call in a favor to my cousin that doesn't work for me anymore. <laughs> and he had to drive out and everything else. And it was fine. I mean, like whatever. Uh, but at the, I was like, I'm not doing that again. Like yeah. that, that sucks. Right. You know? Right. And, and I get it. I mean, like at 20 years old, I mean, I, I was probably asking a little bit too much of the guy to, mm -hmm. to expect him to be responsible enough to really rely on. That's why now all the women that work for me are between like 40 and 60 and they're yeah. all, you know, like I find that they're more dependable. <laughs> Single moms are very dependable. Yeah. Now, if you own a strip club, probably not. Probably not. But in the real world, a single mom. Yeah. She has to work. They have to work. And they also, uh, like, they know what life's about at that point. Yeah. You know, by the time they get to be their, their mid-30s and 40s, they, they've been dealing with this shit for a long time. And they're just, you know, they're good, reliable people. And, you know, I, I do my best to make sure that I, I take care of them as best as I can as well. You know, I mean, like, when I get back home from this big trip, like, I, I took off. I was telling you, Andy, before uh, we started recording. I took off uh, July 25th from North Dakota, and I didn't get back from my first trip this year until September 9th. Mm -hmm. And I was calling my employees a couple times a week, just making checking in, making sure everything was going well. And finally, the one lady, Marie, she said, just stop fucking calling me. <laughs> like, I, we're fine. You got backup vehicles. You got vehicles. We got a charge account at the local mechanic shop. We got everything else covered. Don't yeah. worry about it. Enjoy yourself. Right. Those are the kind of people That's you want to have working for yes, you. Yeah. When you don't have to worry about shit. Yeah. Yep. It, it, even it relates to this business. I've got guides I don't worry about. Sure. I don't, you know, you don't have to worry about the little things you don't have to worry about. You have to worry about other things. Every business <laughs> is different. Yeah, yeah. But, you, but the, the people doing their job and showing up and right. being sober and all that crap, right. that, that's a good deal. Yeah. Now, do y'all go in the post offices or do they have we everything? Do. So you're, you're yep. just like a postal employee. Just a postal employee. Yeah. The only thing is that that's different and in my mind a lot better about being a contractor is we don't have to deal with the. Uh, the bureaucracy of the post office because everybody knows that that's a freaking nightmare. Yeah. All the stupid meetings they go to the, over stupid yeah. shit. Yep. And you know, safety briefings and all that kind of stuff. Like our deal is 
we show up, we sort the mail, we deliver the mail, we come back to the post office, drop our shit off, and we leave. Mm-hmm. That's it. I bet the employees Done. are jealous of your people. Oh, I'm sure they are. Other than the fact that, you know, they get Healthcare, great benefits in right. retirement. You know, yes. I mean, like with this, you don't get that. But your people I, make more per day than they do, though. Uh, it's probably pretty similar. Um, you know, I certainly would make more per day if I was going to be out there running the route than what the what the postal employees would get. You Can know? you pick up some more routes? I can. Uh, I've thought about it. Actually, I bid on another one this year that that would have connected my other two together. So it basically would have given me like a 60 by 40 square chunk of country. Like it's all basically the same thing. Routes butt up to each other, all that kind of shit. Uh, and I got underbid. It's all closed bids. You don't get to see what anybody else is bidding. I got underbid by $400 a year, which I was oh. a little bit pissed off about. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's like, okay. I bid 95,000, he bid 94,600. And I was like, I'll come down, man. Like I'll come down 500, 600 bucks. It doesn't matter to me at all. Right. Um, But at at that point though, you know, like the, my entire life, I've been trying to figure out how to do the least amount of work and make the most amount of money so I can go out and have as much fun as I possibly can. And I got addicted right now. Yes. So if I get another route now, all of a sudden I have to try to worry about two more employees. I got to get the right people in. I have to worry about two more vehicles because you have to have a a normal every day and you have to have a backup. And so it ends up, it it, kind of like, I'm at the point, I'm a single guy. Uh, I don't have any kids. I'm not married. Um, I, I got enough, and I don't have to worry about anything the, where I'm at right now. So why why add the headache whenever yeah. you're comfortable now? What kind of cars are we driving now? For- Retired police vehicles. And actually, I just went on a, an auction for the North Dakota State Fleet yesterday from the hotel room in Kansas. Actually, that's why I couldn't do the podcast <laughs> yesterday from the uh, from whatever. But uh, I'm running the retired police interceptor Ford Explorers. They're built really well. Uh, they got the uh, bigger, stronger suspension, better brakes, transmission coolers, all that kind of shit. And you can pick them up pretty cheap. So, and what are you, they running? Uh, I got the ones I bought yesterday. They're 2017, 2018. I bought one of each, and they have right at 100,000 miles on them. I got them for 13. Oh, that's wow. a good price. Yeah. yeah. And like, and I'll get four years out of them. Right. And the other benefit, the thing that I didn't know when I was, when I was young is how people that actually start making money don't have to pay taxes. I now know that I got that (laughs) shit figured out so I can write off a vehicle for my mail route for three years. Mm-hmm. At the end of three years, you can depreciate it, and then at that point, it's done. Like right. you get no more depreciation. So I'm trading every th- or getting oh, rid of them yeah. every three years. 100%. Um, and in three years, each one of my routes is about forty five thousand miles a year. Mm-hmm. So that's one hundred and twenty thousand miles. Right. And so all of a sudden, now you got a vehicle that you paid thirteen thousand for. It's got two hundred and twenty thousand miles on it, but it's still worth five six thousand bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, and dump it, get something new, wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah, it's so, a good idea. Mm-hmm. Very interesting deal. You've, you've beaten life. That's a good deal. <laughs> yeah, I found a, I found a cheat code somewhere in there, and it all come from uh, reading the paper. paper. Yeah, reading the paper, taking a shit, and having a cup of coffee. <laughs> where did Where did you grow up at? North Dakota. Uh, born and raised Minot, North Dakota. Minot, North Dakota. Yep. Yep. And it's a really cool area right there. It's beautiful. Up I there. said that if I had to pick a place to live in America outside of Maine or. I would North Dakota would be a state I would live in because it's like going back in time, especially the small towns there. Yeah. It reminds me of what it must have been like in the 50s or 60s in yeah. America. You know, and so like even going from Minot, uh, which now, you know, we had that big oil boom back in the mid 2000s. Shit got crazy up there. Yeah. Uh, when I was growing up, Minot was about 30,000 people. Now it's about 60. Um, but I moved out of Minot when I got my mail routes in Stanley. It's only 50 miles west of Minot. Uh, Stanley's got about 2,500 people in it. 
And when you go into the bar on a Friday night, you don't hear people talking about anything other than the score of the high school football game, how the varsity girls basketball team looks, you know, like all the problems have <laughs> shrunk down. People hold the door open for you. They tell you good morning. They mean it. Small you know? town America. That's it. That's it. And like after that, I like if I'm in a even like Amarillo is not a real big city, but I had freaking anxiety just being there last <laughs> night. Like it's like, Jesus Christ, there's too many people. Yeah, the people don't. And, and the people in the big, big urban areas, the politicians, everybody. They don't like that lifestyle that you have in in Stanley. Yeah, well, fuck them. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. They don't yeah. like the they they don't like us living where you don't have to lock your doors and you know your neighbors and you know your neighbors' kids. Right. They don't like that. Yeah, like I got a lot of people, uh, just like you guys do, that come up there and they hunt with me throughout the year, and everybody's always like, I just last week I had my my late pheasant camp that I give away a bunch of spots to the podcast for. And uh, there was four guys that drove all the way from California. They drove up uh, 26 hours or whatever. Uh, and he's like, so do we need to worry about locking our doors tonight? I was like, dude, my keys are in the ignition of my pickup. <laughs> my wallet's in the center council. And I got $3,000 shotgun in the back seat. And yeah. I have never lost. I, I don't even know where the fucking house keys from my house are at. I wish I could tell you that. I don't believe you, but I don't know where our house keys are either because yeah. every one of our doors has now got a pad on it. Even I got, I got, I got a pad on mine too for when I leave on this trip. I mean, I'm going to be gone for yeah. eight yeah. weeks, and we got you know? we got cameras on our pads too, so we sure. could do. It. But one of our doors, we don't we have camera, but we don't have a pad on it. Mm. So Michelle locked the door one night for something, and she, or we were going somewhere. She goes, "I'm going to go ahead and lock this door." We had we had somebody breaking into some. Stolen in some truck, uh, cars. We had a car thief, that, or not a car thief. He was about six weeks ago. Yeah, going through everybody's vehicles and stuff at night. And Michelle goes, "I'm just gonna lock the door just in case." I sure, said, that's fine. And she goes, "We were leaving somewhere." And she goes, "We just come out here to the lodge." And she goes, "Do you have a key to that door?" Fuck, I ain't got a clue. I have no idea. Where I'm, my keys I'm are guessing at. if we have a key to that door, that it's either with our middle son or with our son in, in Washington State. But I can go through the back door, the side doors. They all have pads, but we have one door that does not have a pad to it. We don't even know where the key is to the damn thing because we've never, <gasps> ever, ever locked our doors or worried about it. Right, right. It. It's a great feeling, man. Yes. I mean, you know, and the other nice thing that you no you notice about people out in the country is that everybody looks after each other. Yes. So, like, my, my closest neighbor is a mile away. Um, but when I'm gone, he goes up there and he checks on my house, makes sure nobody's been fucking around with anything. And then I got my, my one employee, Marie, she drives right by my house every day. Like, my I live on one of my mail routes. And so I just tell her, you know, like once a week, just stop in, make sure that the door is still locked and the heat's still working inside the house and <laughs> stuff like that. And, you know, but everybody kind of patrols everything because everybody knows everybody. See, that's the people don't realize that either because they think when they're in the middle of nowhere, like out here, they're like, like nobody's going to know nothing. Nobody will notice. Yeah. Everybody. I notice everything. Everything. If I'm driving down that road and there's a vehicle somewhere it's not supposed to be, yep. or I see a fence that's un the gate that's open that's never opened or something, I notice that. And I'm a nosy fucker. So I will ask or call somebody. I was like, oh, hey, me too. Did you leave something? I called a guy the other night. I saw some lights by his tractor. And I said, hey, are you over there by your tractor? Yeah, we're doing something. Thanks for checking in, Jeff, because we've had some guys steal some diesel lately sure. around here. But people out in the country, we notice. Well, there yeah. ain't a lot of us. But we see the same things every day. Anything out of place that we 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 notice that. Yeah, people Absolutely. from the city come out here and they're like, ah, fuck it. Nobody'll nobody'll notice. It's like that's the wrong yeah. attitude. Yeah. yeah. Because you might every, not notice in the city because you kind of you, you change keep, all the time. Yeah. And you keep your face, you keep your head down, you don't get to know your neighbors, you don't, you know, none of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. In the country, like if somebody leaves, like I mean, in in a five mile area around my house, there's probably 20 people, maybe. But if some if a family's moving out to go someplace else, we have like a big country block party <laughs> right. bonfire kind of a thing where everybody has a barbecue, you know, whatever. 
So we know exactly who's there. We know what kind of cars they drive, mm-hmm. you know, and it comes down, it comes back into hunting a lot too, where, you know, up there I got, North Dakota's got some of the friendliest trespass laws that there are. Like if the land's not posted, you don't, you, you don't right. have to ask permission. You can go and do whatever you want, you know? But, uh, I, I noticed a bunch of vehicle tracks driving through a field when I was out walking on some upland stuff that is posted and I had permission on, and I called my buddy Kurt and I was like, Kurt, you guys been out, you guys lose some cows or something like that. There's your fields got vehicle tracks around every slew bottom. And he's like, no, mm-hmm. that's not us. And I was like, well, somebody has been driving around your fields out here, probably looking for deer or whatever at night. Right. And uh, sure enough, a week later, he caught the guy and ended up, yeah, ended up getting him arrested for trespassing and all that kind of shit. But he didn't, you know, he has 12,000 acres, you know, and he lives 30 miles from the field where, where, where I saw the shit at. He's not up there all the time. You know, they, they get done with harvest and they're gone. Right. You know, they're not worried about it. Yeah. But people, but but people don't think about other people being around and seeing stuff. I, not long ago, it was a couple of years ago, I drove by a field and I saw a tractor. The door was open. Brand new John Deere tractor and door was wide open. Went and done something. I come back 15 minutes later. It was doing. I called the guy up. That's Paul Chambers a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I said, hey, you got a door in your tractor open. Are you, is it supposed to be open? I knew it wasn't supposed to be. He goes, no, sure. I must have forgotten left it. Do you mind closing? I said, no, not at all. But I noticed that. Yeah. Average guy in the city would have no clue. No. Not a all. chance. You know? I've yeah. seen guys leave their lights on in their trucks before something go on and call somebody and say, hey, your light, you want me to turn them off? Yes. Yeah. You know, and that's just being country. That's the way we are out here in the country. That's it. That's it. Have uh, this year, so was this the first year that North Dakota did the e-posting of the no trespass? Last year. Last uh, year? Yeah, 21 was the first year. Are more people going to that? Yeah. Um, it's There's a lot more. There was a lot more e-posted stuff up there this year. Uh, there was also a lot more plots. So plots is our um, uh, pu- uh, private land open to hunters or open to sportsmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that there's... I think that we're going to start seeing more of that, actually, uh, along with the e-posting, because people are now realizing that if uh, North Dakota Game and Fish wants to pay them to leave their access open, mm-hmm. why not let them? Because, it, you know, when I was growing up, it was more rare to see a posted sign than it was to see a field that wasn't. So there is incentive for the farmers to leave it open Some, to hunters. Yeah. yeah, and the better the habitat, the more they'll get paid, too. Really? Yep. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. But uh, I think that like it's kind of a it's it's a it's a two-edged sword so it first of all anything that involves more technology i'm not a fan of right uh but um i think that if they want to do it it's it's awesome because it may it makes e-scouting on onyx a lot easier right uh but we should go either all in or all out like because now when you see something that's unposted on onyx you still have to drive up there checking for posted signs or if like in the waterfowl world, this is a big thing anyways, because you're putting on so many miles scouting mm-hmm. uh, and you see a field that's not posted and they got to hopefully you have cell phone service. You got to open up Onyx, make sure it's it's not e-posted, all that kind of stuff. I would like to see him just do all e-posting or none of it. Right. It just make everything a lot cleaner. Because right now there's kind of this, it might be physically posted, it right. might be e-posted. We've got to check both. Right. So it's either all one or all the other. Yeah. And mind. the thing with the physical posting that was always kind of a problem too is that uh, it when I was growing up, it had to be posted every quarter mile. So mm-hmm. like in North Dakota, everything's broke up into mile by mile squares. Uh, somebody might own the whole section. Somebody might own 160 acres of it. Uh, and unless you either had a plat book back then right. or knew the landowner, you didn't actually know who owned what. Uh, nowadays with Onyx, you can kind of see it breaks it down everything into quarters. But uh, 
instead of having it posted every quarter mile, uh, now it just has to be posted either on the gate or the approach. Right. And that leaves a lot of ambiguous room there again, where, uh, you know, it just makes everything a little bit more confusing where it's like, okay, so what are the boundaries here? Mm-hmm. And so I think that the e-posting I think actually is going to work, but doing it half in half out kind of sucks. Like right. it, it makes it, it makes it a little bit tougher. Well, and I always think about, you know, the old the old guy that's been going out there for 20 years. He was 50 or 40 when he started going out. Now he's in his late 60s. Right. A lot of those guys, uh, you know, I've got I've got a friend and his dad go to South Dakota every year. Sure. If he didn't if the if the dad was still going with his buddies that are in their 60s, they don't know how to work on X. Like sure. they're not checking the and obviously at South Dakota is different, but I'm sure North Dakota has the same old people that have been going there for 20 years. Like a lot of those guys are not tech savvy enough to even look at Onyx. And now you're going to hold their feet to the fire whenever, you know, they've just been going by the way that it has been for years. Yeah. One of the, one of the really brilliant things that Onyx did is that now when you buy a hunting license in North Dakota, you get a, free 30-day trial to onyx that's badass uh which great idea i mean what a you know like marketing genius right there because we get tons and tons of traffic and everything else um part of the problem though uh is like a lot of those older guys that have been hunting those spots for years Mm -hmm. uh they kind of they'll and I've seen this a lot where they'll actually use that as an excuse for bad behavior (laughs) so like uh you know and shit they might have been hunting it for 40 years but the person who owned it has probably it's changed hands hands. right and they kind of feel this this um uh right to hunt some of these spots now that that they don't have right and so like there's a lot of concessions that need to be made on both sides there i mean like it's like okay as a landowner you kind of need to feel for the guy he's been coming up here for you know and I mean, even coming, being a North Dakota resident from like Fargo and coming up into Northwest North Dakota is a five hour drive. Right. Uh, you know, and so they've been coming up there and hunting forever. And maybe that you just bought this piece of land and now it's e posted, but it's not paper posted. You know, you need to kind of be like, just letting you guys know mm-hmm. this isn't the old landowners anymore. This right. is mine and it is e posted and you're not allowed to be here, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, it, it's it's one of those weird things where but yeah it's uh it's been two years now and and i i bet i don't know that the game and fish publishes numbers on that but i bet that the number of e-posted land probably went up 30 or 40 percent this year just because it's so much more convenient it's, it's easier than posting yeah. signs and yeah. let's just do it online and yeah and uh forget about it the nice thing that they also did is that they made it so that it has to, if you want to e-post something it has to be submitted by august 1st uh-huh. and so that way you're not out there opening day of, of deer season or whatever. And everybody's putting pound and pounding posted signs in because they're going to be hunting deer and you've been hunting there for weeks now or whatever. So if they're going to e-post it, they have to post it before the season starts. Um, which makes it kind of nice as well. Cause if you find a spot that's not e-posted and it's not paper posted, I mean, now they can still go out there and paper post it, but you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's just one of those, it's a weird deal. How common was that little trick to like have something that wasn't posted and then you want to keep somebody off of it and you just go put your own little posted sign. Well, I've, I've seen that happen where people that don't, yeah, that don't even own it, you right. know, put uh, their own sign up yeah. to keep people out. Yeah. It's supposed to have a name on it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and a lot of people would just scribble some ineligible shit on there and be like oh yeah it's uh." (laughs) you know i don't know how big a dude's balls has to be to do something like that but (laughs) i mean jesus christ man like it's like 
dude, like how, and what I've had uh, my uncle, he's a big farmer and, uh, he had a guy three or four years ago that, uh, he, he come up and he saw this guy's doors open on the side of the road and he was out walking the slough bottom right alongside the road, road shooting pheasants. And he's like, Hey man, like everything around here is posted. And he's like, I don't give a fuck if your land's posted or not. What are you going to do about it? And I was like, I'll tell you what I would do about it. (laughs) You asshole. Like, I mean, like, and it's shit like that. That's getting more and more stuff posted. They get a ticket and they quit doing that shit though. Yeah. But the problem is like in North Dakota, we have 35 game wardens to cover the whole state. You know, like if you call a district game warden, he might be three and a half, four hours away. What about the the state highway patrolmen can't do nothing about that? Highway patrolmen Mm -hmm. are on gravel roads and prairie trails. You know, uh, so that guy just knows the chances of him running into game warden are pretty damn slim. Yeah. The only, I mean, you might run into a landowner that's going to shoot your ass or, uh, <laughs> or, you know, knock a tire out of your pickup or something like that. See, that that's right back to the disrespect we have in our country. It is. I can't believe, I'm not going to say in my lifetime, I've never hunted on someone's land I wasn't supposed to be. I don't think I ever have, but I don't want some asshole that knew me when I was 20 years old or 16 sure. to come back and say, Hey, Jeff, remember when we did this? Right. Because I don't think I've ever done that. Yeah. Because, I don't like to get my ass chewed out. I don't either. And that's why I don't know why I got married, because that's all you get is your ass chewed <laughs> when you get married. But no, seriously, I don't understand. And I like to have fun dis- when I yes. hunt. I, I don't, don't want, want to be looking, looking over my like, shoulder. I, take I hate that shit. Yeah. I, did, I did trespass in Canada, we did, on the state of Canada, or the government of the Canadian government. Me and you both did. When? When me and you were in Canada for that week. Where did we hunt? That was not... We weren't even supposed to be in Canada hunting. Oh, oh well, that's right, th- right, that's right, a little right. hard to know well, sometimes. No, no, we knew we weren't supposed yeah. to be there uh, doing it. But were you not nervous the whole fucking fun. time? Yeah, it, it was ruined, terrible. It yeah. ruined my experience in Canada. The only time it was fun was at night when you get to go into hunting. As soon as you got back, and you're like, Phew. yeah, it was got a, away with it. It was a horrible but, deal. Yeah. But you got to do it again tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, but that but that was a miserable feeling, and yeah. so I can't imagine shooting a gun because guns aren't quiet. No. And, and just shooting a gun and just thinking, oh, I get by with that because nobody knows what I'm doing. Yeah. Bullshit on that. Dude. Yeah. Or or just assuming that that nobody's going to stop and ask, hey, do you have permission to be here? Yeah. I yeah. just I I couldn't imagine doing that. But no. the, the, but the disrespect of someone's property to do that. Yeah. I mean that is that's just wrong. Yeah. And that that's the thing that's changed in the last twenty years. Uh, I mean, like with everything else, uh, you know, people just don't respect what somebody else has anymore. And. When I, I mean, I'm not even exaggerating when I say that I bet 90% of North Dakota was unposted mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Like, you went out and you just hunted. Right. I mean, like, there was nothing that was posted. You, you would occasionally start seeing some posted signs going up, maybe for pheasant opener, and then um, maybe a few more for deer season because the landowners up there, they're farming these huge swaths of land. They don't give a shit about Hungarian partridge and ducks. You know, like they don't <laughs> right. have time for that that stuff. But right. when deer season comes around, that's their one time where they get all their family together. Everybody's going to go out deer hunting and all, harvest is over by then. So mm-hmm. they have a little bit of time to commit to it. And so you'd see a couple posted signs go up then. But other than that, that was about it. And if you knocked on a door, right. 95% of the people were going to tell you, go ahead. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, I like I'm still one, I'm one of the few guys that actually spends a lot of time like getting to know landowners and cultivating those those relationships and being good to them and treating their land with respect and all that kind of stuff and knocking on doors if i'm up in an area where i don't know you know if i if i want to go take a walk even if it's not posted nowadays i'm knocking on a door because nobody's like if it's unposted and you and obviously they don't care if you're there anyways right but with everything being a little bit ambiguous and tensions kind of being hot all around the country 
I would just rather knock on a door and be like, hey, I noticed you guys got this field over here that's not posted. You mind if I go over there with my dogs and go take a walk for some birds? And they're like, oh, yeah, go ahead and go have right. fun. But it makes me feel better, and I'm sure it makes them feel better. But well, people are afraid right. to go knock on a door and talk, talk to landowners anymore and ask for permission. Is they just go do it. Is y'all's bird pop? Is y'all's bird? Is your deer population in North Dakota exploding like everywhere else? Uh, it's pretty stable. Um, so we had a real bad decline in 2009, 10, and 11. Uh, in 2011, I think the Game and Fish gave out like 100,000 deer licenses or something like that to a state of 650,000 people. Uh, and we, 9, 10, 11, we had historically bad winters and the deer population just crashed bad. I mean, really bad. So in 2012, the game and fish went from like 110,000 deer licenses to like 30, mm -hmm. like they cut it in almost a third or in almost a quarter. And, uh, but now they've rebounded and the quality of our deer has gone through the roof. Because I've noticed in a lot of places in the Midwest, <clears throat> Texas, Oklahoma, like our deer population here is thousand times more popular than it was when I first moved 30 years ago when I first moved to Knox County you'd see deer around the river sure in McFadden Lane which we got a ranch on one side that we have you'd see deer there but you didn't see them everywhere else mm -hmm. now like we had two deer hung up in our funeral at our cemetery, cemetery. the other day two nice bucks that got hung up and got killed there that was like Tuesday but we see them everywhere now yeah. but I've noticed is the beer deer population has increased deer leases have increased so there's less and less availability for bird hunters sure like because 30 years ago out here, if you saw a farmer and he had a pond in the middle of a field or somewhere and you said, hey, do you mind if I go shoot your ducks? He didn't give two shits. Right. Now, if you go do that, he goes, I got at least my deer, my deer hunting's leased out. Right. And places like north of here and some of that ranch country up there, there used to not be no leases. You could go, I could knock on a door and hunt anywhere. Yep. Well, you can't do that no more because everything's leased for deer hunting. Yeah. And I was wondering if that North Dakota, can you lease out your land in North Dakota for hunting? You know, I'm not sure about that. Um, I... Actually, I, I, I'm sure that you can because in southwest North Dakota, there's a lot of places that have pheasant leases. Mm -hmm. So and you can lease it out. I, I, I'm assuming, yeah, I, you must be able to. Um, but I don't know if it, it's not real common anyplace else other than that. Other than that, what I call the golden triangle of pheasant hunting in North Dakota, south and west of the Missouri River, you know, Mott region, like these legendary places where you're going to go <clears> on, walk a old abandoned farmstead and see 2,000 pheasants come out of there. Um, other than that, it's, it's very uncommon. Um, and there's the deer hunting in North Dakota will never get that way because our non-resident tags are almost non-existent. I think it's 1% of the total deer licenses out there or something like that. It's, Can you buy an over-the-counter non-resident and you have to draw for it? You have to draw like residents have to draw. Like I only draw a buck tag every other year. Now the, the pheasant hunting, I've never been on a wild bird pheasant hunt. Oh, it's a, I it's was a absolutely amazed. That's one thing that I fell in love with when I was in the Dakotas mm -hmm. was first of all, everything looks like a Terry Redland print. Like mm -hmm. you're around that Missouri river oh, yeah. south of Bismarck and stuff. Mm -hmm. I thought, man, this is a cool place. And you see all of that stuff yep. and, and it's, it's just a beautiful place, but we take for granted. We don't have that here. Y'all take that for granted. You right. see, just, you said 2000 birds. That's common. Uh, it's not common, but it happens every year. I mean, That's like, crazy. like, well, uh, there's this one spot that, uh, again, I got permission on this spot by knocking on a door like 15 years ago, and I've been going back there ever since. And it's, uh, it's a cattail slough that's um, spring fed in the middle, and it's probably 30 acres, something like that. And we've had it, we've had 800 or 1,000 pheasants come out of that. That's crazy. <sighs> yeah. I mean, well, I, I got one video up on YouTube right now uh, that, I, I posted here a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was the first day after we got a, our first good snow of the year. 
and we were, uh, it was me and one buddy and in one little bush, there was like 60 birds that took off out of one little bush. We ended up, we each shot our limit three days in a row on one walk per day. Which one and, was it? Uh, the Roosters in the Snow, I think. It's got a pile of views, like 80-some thousand views or something like that. Is now. it Roosters in Hunt? Or? No, it'd be the one before that. Uh, three three videos ago, two, two three videos ago. What, what's the limit? Three cocks? Three roosters per day per person, yep. On a good day, that don't take you 15 minutes, does it? No. I mean, like we've had lots of walks where you're done in Is one walk. Pheasants in the Snow? That's Is that the it? one, yeah. That's the one? Yep. Uh and we got a we got a fresh snow uh, the day before. There was about ten inches of snow on the ground. It was it was a little. Uh, it, I had a lot of people that were uh, sending me messages concerned about my cardiovascular health after that. And I was like, <laughs> you try walking through knee deep snow out here for six miles on a big walk, and you not be out of breath because I guarantee you. You right know who now, Douglas Bell is? Mm-mm. You know Douglas. He writes for a couple of publications. Good friend of mine. Sunk a war on Instagram. Great guy. He told me he said. Guy's kind of a big guy, as much as he walks. I thought, boy, Douglas, you're fat shaming. That's sorry (laughs) as hell. Yeah, Yeah, I, uh, I mean, like in the month of September this year, I walked 276 miles. Oh, tell his ass, he 276 miles, Douglas. Don't judge. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I mean, like sharp tail hunting up there. You're in big country. I mean, like one walk is a seven mile walk sometimes. You know, three and a half miles in, all of a sudden you run into birds, and it's three and a half miles back. And so the month of September. Uh, I averaged a little over nine miles a day. I so you're in better day. shape on January 15th than you are on July 15th? That's why I go to Arizona <laughs> this time of the year, I'll tell you right now, because uh, if I was going to come down and do uh, the Arizona Merns Quail walks up in the mountains of, of Arizona in September, I'd be, uh, I'd, I'd, it'd be a little rough. <laughs> but uh, this time of the year, uh, this is... This, like, What's the temperatures like right here right now? Uh, about... 12 13 Oof. degrees it got really nice and warm after that like look at all the birds going out of, there. out of there wow. so and like every little finger draw there's a big giant draw in this video you can see my dog standing on point over there uh every single draw that you come up to where it runs up to the edges of these field this is what it was like i smoke a rooster right here too just hammer them pow boom 410 410 number six is baby is that that's a side by side yeah a little side by side that's the same gun that i shot that turkey out of the air with same one. Same one. Boss loads. Boss loads. Number six is right there. And then my dog is coming over here to retrieve that bird. And right by that little brush pile, uh, just to the left right there, mm-hmm. he stacks up on point again. And I, he comes, goes down there. And I was like, hi, I wonder if there's a late riser. And I kill another rooster right there. So were they, I mean, all the birds, all those birds were flushing up out of there. But yeah. a lot of these birds are holding tight. Yeah, they're burying in the snow. Right here, I kill one too. They're just everywhere right Pow. now. So, like, if you see that that trail right alongside the field edge right there, that's yeah. not deer. That's fucking pheasants. That's right all there? pheasant tracks right there. See, that's what I saw when I drove it's up there. Wild. It cra- and it was not snowing, but every in the evening, every little place like that would have 50 to 60, 70 yeah. pheasants I mean, out there. Look, look at that pheasant buried in the snow. I mean, like, that's how deep the damn snow was. Uh, but this is this is just the first walk that we made. Uh, this is the, the morning after that snow. And... We did this for three straight days in different spots every day, and it was it, it. It, I mean, it was just the best hunting that there was, man. I mean, it was it was incredible. All We'd, I can't get it was at twelve degrees. You know, and that day, uh, you know, I had my uh, I had my my face, uh, my wool face mask Covered and stuff up. on, and uh, it was there was no wind at all, which is pretty abnormal in North Dakota. Uh, but it was it was twelve degrees, sun was out, and we were dressed for, it, and it actually wasn't that bad. It was pretty comfortable walking. Now, 
I, I'm, I'm glad you're on this because we're fixing to have we're fixing to have a polar vortex here. It looks like around sure. December 19th. They're talking about single digits highs for about three days here. That's cold. And that's cold, cold for us. Very yeah. cold. And everybody up north is gonna make fun of us because we're gonna have some power grid go off because fucking wind energy don't work. And sure. All the Joe Biden, Brighton, Brittany Griner bullshit and all that crap going on in the world. But that's the reason our electric grid don't work is because these windmills can't generate because when it's cold like that, for some reason, everything's fucked up. But that dog is outside at 12 degrees. And that's a short hair. Is that dog having fun? Oh, he's enjoying having life? a ball. Having a ball. We go through this shit all the time. Yep. These people don't give a shit about the homeless people. They don't care about their neighbors who are freezing to death. But you see 500 posts on Facebook. Please bring your dogs in. This It's yep. a dog. A dog that's outside can handle the weather oh yeah i've never seen a pet froze to death i'm sure they have did you need a charger yeah, I got it. Is yeah. that mine oh, i thought it was josh moore that was needing one not you oh yeah, thank god yeah with uh like even and short hairs are are tough i mean they're tough dogs uh but you know my he doesn't have any any fur on him at all but uh, like on that one walk he ran 14 miles or but something the, but like the, that they're not you freezing know? to oh, death freaking people loves it. dogs stay outside animals they can handle the cold well, weather. Well, my dogs live inside of me. Well, that makes it different, but. though. If they come inside all the time, <laughs> yeah. then to, for them to stay out on. If you have a dog that's in all side all night and it's five degrees and you put them out all yeah. night, they're going to be a little cold. Oh, yeah. But I mean, like, uh, my, yeah, I mean, like my dogs sleep in bed with me every night. But uh, uh, you try, you let that dog out of the kennel in the morning when you're going on a pheasant hunt. It doesn't matter. Like, I've hunted pheasants when it was 15 below zero before, <laughs> and dogs could give a shit less. Have you ever seen Lou get too cold on a goose hunt? Uh, not on a goose hunt. There was one time we were hunting water, and I he got a little cold there. But he loves what he he's was, doing. But he was no. I mean, yeah, he loved what he was doing. But yeah. um by the end of that, I quickly video, bought a vest. Yeah. Me. By the end of that video, you could see my short hair's tail was kind of tucked a little bit, and he'd be standing there, and he was shaking. Right. But as and then as soon as he'd find he'd, he'd be out there hunting, and all of a sudden that tail just goes straight up in the air, and mm -hmm. it's it, <laughs> like it's game on. Like the, there's no pan. The vest his is. The vest is a game changer for the dogs. And these people that don't think it makes a difference, it makes a huge difference. So not uh, everybody runs a vest, the, but they I, are warm I only run a vest when, it's on, when he's hunting water. But yeah. it's warm for them. Yeah. Well, it, yeah it the, the, the problem with vests in the snow, though, I've seen this happen one time. Uh, I had a buddy who had an English pointer, uh, not the most cold-tolerant dog to begin with anyways, right. but it was like 20 degrees and there was wet snow out there, and his vest got packed with snow. Right. And, and it, cooled, it, it cooled his core body temperature off, and he got hypothermic on us. We had to put him on the on the floor next to the heater and all that kind of stuff. But mm -hmm. that's just because the vest that he was wearing wasn't Holding. fit properly, right. and it was right. just packing with snow, and it didn't have any place it's to go. An ice cooler on him. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, have you noticed like uh, a big snow like this? Or, I mean, what are the pheasants? They just hole up right like that. Like, yeah. is that the best time to go? Is after oh, a big man. snowstorm? The first snowstorm of the year when you got young birds. That's uh, the one. Oh, dude! Like they they don't understand that they can't hide anymore. Right. Uh, and so they haven't experienced a, a time <laughs> in their lives where they haven't been able to just duck into some grass and have a bunch of shit walk past them. Uh -huh. And all of a sudden, uh, they'll snow roost just like uh, you know a lot of a lot of upland game birds will, where those pheasants will be in the cover underneath the snow dog can still smell them right and all, that bird's like why aren't these guys leaving <laughs> like i should be out of here by now like or they should be passed and right. and like these birds will come up out of the snow but i love hunting like i talk a ton of shit about pheasants uh because <laughs> just like jeff is saying uh like i i grew well when i was growing up we didn't have a ton of pheasants around by me but uh they're 
rascals. They don't play by any rules. They run like crazy. Uh, they're a nightmare for dogs that don't know what they're doing because they do run a ton. And when you find one pheasant, especially late season, you're going to find a hundred. Mm -hmm. So now having a dog that can kind of sort out the difference between what's fresh, what's old, if the bird's moving, if it's not, all that kind of stuff gets to be a real pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that first day after after a snow, especially the first real good heavy snow, dude, it's the best hunting you'll have all year. Really? All year. Yep. Um, you get a dog that can point just cocks, that's even better dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or or if they just let us shoot hens, because let, let's be honest, it's the only bird that you can't shoot hens on. How many? How many that's exactly why, right. Why is that? I mean, are the, the population's doing it Because okay, you can you distinguish know? between the two. Yeah, you can distinguish between the two. Um, one rooster will take care. Like, uh, I... The last numbers I heard, and I mean, obviously, I don't work for pheasants forever, and I'm not a doctor. I didn't know if you knew that about me or not. <laughs> uh, but like one, like one, to, one rooster at every twelve hens is about right. And uh, you know, I don't know. Like they're 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 the only non-native bird species that we have in the country that people give that much of a shit about. <laughs> and I love pheasants. I mean, like I chase a lot of pheasants, but I talk endless amounts of shit about them because I think other birds are cooler. Right. Uh, like I'd rather hunt quail. I just got done hunting bobwhites in Kansas. I'm going to go hunt Mern's quail, scale quail, and gambles in Arizona. Hungarian partridge in North Dakota, another import that doesn't get any love. That's an absolutely ball to hunt. Uh, covey bird. They're like supersized bobwhites. Mm -hmm. Um sharp-tailed grouse another like they're a native game bird species they've been up there since the fucking woolly mammoths were ro roaming around nobody gives a shit about them i didn't know that yeah and you can i mean you can yeah i mean i don't know why we how, can't shoot hen pheasants how, how many crazy. cocks three. three no how many cocks did you say will take care of a pheasant one, one to twelve so one one cock rooster can breed 12 hens yep like like most of us in college yep <laughs> so so or josh moore <laughs> so what what do you do with uh when are you when you're hunting do you see so many more hens than you do cocks in it depends uh you know that probably three to one a lot of times but uh you know like, like i was saying though when you find a when you find a spot that's got a bunch of birds in it there's going to be a hundred of them in there uh You'll see, you know, maybe out of that 100, maybe 30 of them will be roosters and a bunch of them will go out wild, you know. Um, but it's it's really not that big of a deal. In fact, I uh, I kind of enjoy uh, watching people shit their pants when because it seems like the hens hold tighter than the roosters do sometimes, <laughs> probably because they haven't been getting shot at their whole life. Right. Uh, but you'll get some really incredible dog work on the hens where a dog will be on point and a guy will be kicking around or whatever. And all of a sudden a hen will get up and knock his hat off his head. Mm -hmm. Like, I love watching that. And then I, I'm yelling at him not to shoot it, you know, cause he, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. Ah! but yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty fun. So the birds that were, when you were walking up, the birds that were like flushing out, those are probably like older birds that are like, oh, fuck. I've, yeah. I've been here before. Like, yeah. I can't hide now. One of my favorite statistics ever is that the average life expectancy of a rooster pheasant is like seven months. That's it? That's it. So so, so most of them so have like seen the quail. Snow. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. So most of them haven't. Uh, I th <clears throat> My philosophy on it is that when you're hunting pheasants or any upland game bird, 30% of them are going to hold, 30% of them are going to flush. It's what you do with the other 40% that makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. uh, and like pheasants are a great example. If they can, see, like they have really big ears, they have incredible hearing. Mm -hmm. And so it's that, it's that instinct, that fight or flight, or in the case of a pheasant, it's do I fly right now or do I hunker and hope they miss me? Right. And the ones that there's a real steep learning curve on that kind of, on that kind <laughs> of shit. It's, it's like either, uh, either I'm going to get out of here real quick, uh, or I might get shot, might not. And yeah. the ones that sit are the ones that we, we tend to tend to crush. 
Yeah. So where what, did they come from? Hold on, Jeff. China. They China. came from China. Mm-hmm. Our, uh, our most popular Chinese import. Really? Yeah. Well, we didn't sell the farm to get them either. Why no. did we? Why did we? What was the? They was were it hunting. Yeah, hats and stuff, wasn't it? Too? Yeah, a lot of the yeah the Hatter market, but uh, they uh they were a really popular game bird in England before they oh, ever yeah, were the, brought over here. The King uh, of England, they loved them. They the royal lo- family love pheasants, and I, I had a buddy who was in the army who uh, passing back through from overseas. He he went back through England. He's like Jesus Christ, I've never seen so many freaking pheasants in my life. I was like, I believe that, but uh, the one like they were they started importing them over to the East Coast in like the 1700s, 1800s. The one that finally took, they uh, they released them in Oregon in the late 1800s, uh, early started, 1900s. So North Dakota didn't have pheasants during the Indian days. No, I didn't no. know. Really, I didn't know when they got here when they took. So no. it was, and that makes sense. I guess they wouldn't have had them until. So it was in the 1900s, basically, before pheasants took off into Dakota. Well, my grandpa uh, was born mm-hmm. 1934. Four, and he said that in the 1940s and early 50s, they uh, they just started getting a whole pile of pheasants, just started showing up. They had a bunch of really nice, mild winters and everything else. And uh, they had a bad winter the one year. And uh, he said he can very vividly remember. He's passed away now. But he said uh, they were looking out the kitchen window one morning in, like, December. And uh, they counted 500 pheasants in their garden. Oof. And the next year, when the after the bad winter, they were outside feeding cows and stuff like that, and they had a whole wagon load full of dead pheasants <laughs> that, uh, that that did not survive the winter. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the 1940s, 1950s is when they kind of started making their big ways into South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana, uh, Iowa. I mean, there there was good pheasant hunting all over the Midwest before the farming practices got super clean. Now, uh, like there used to be a pheasant, a really good pheasant population in, in Illinois, mm-hmm. and and even that far to the east. Um, but as the the agriculture has changed and the farming practices, where there's not any of that dirty ag anymore, they're right. they're clean farming. Corner to corner, yeah, corner to corner, they're taking out all the all the sloughs and everything else that are out there, all the wetlands. Uh, they've kind of been pushed back into their and there's no lack of pheasants in the dakotas or even kansas we shot a bunch of pheasants in kansas this week now were they as fragile as like the the bob white like like the quail are because they always the bob white always seems to go up and down with whatever weather we're gonna get these are the pheasant populations will go up and down but it's it's they can handle a winter pretty well as long as there's thermal cover Mm -hmm. for them to escape to so uh when they're uh, as long as there's tree rows and cattail sloughs and brushy bottoms and stuff like that, they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big numbers, the big number swings that we'll see is if we have no rain and there's no insects on the ground because mm-hmm. for the first eight weeks of their life or six weeks or however long it is, they, they basically live just off soft-bodied insects. Um, if we don't have any bugs on the landscape, they don't have anything to eat. They don't have a gizzard de- developed yet. There's no seeds. They can't eat none of that shit. So... Uh, then they just won't have any any reproduction those years. Mm-hmm. And on the reverse side of that, if you get too much rain, uh, the it'll drown out their nests or they'll get hypothermic as chicks. So it's kind of they're not super fragile birds, um, but they're fragile enough where you will see some some pretty big swings. I just read on this in in South Dakota. 1911 is when they were introduced. The first birds came in 1890, mm-hmm. and the first hunting season was in 1919. They released them in 1911. A guy named Frank Bramble or somebody did. And they got a park by around Waterton's where he did it, and there was in the first year that you could shoot two cocks 
Only 200 pheasants were killed that year. As soon as the number of pheasants grew, so did the hunting season. Soon pheasant hunters could shoot more birds. In 1944, the season began in September and went through February of the next year. They could shoot 10 birds a day, and they shot more than 6 million pheasants. Yeah. Today, you can shoot three per day, and the season's not six as long. Million? Six yeah. million? But they're that, there's that many of them. What yeah. do they have, 8 to 10 in a clutch a year? Uh, they can, A good year like this last year that we had, uh, 12 is not uncommon. Will they have more than like, one? No. So like a quail will have three nests a year on a wet year. Yeah. So uh, is what they will do is if they lose that first clutch, say that a raccoon gets into them or the nest gets drowned out or whatever, they'll re-nest, but the second clutch is never as big as the first. Mm -hmm. So if if that hen – and it also depends on what kind of condition they're coming out of the winter in. So if we have a really nice open winter where the hen's body weights up and she wasn't stressed out at all, they can have 12, 14 eggs – uh, if that nest fails, the next one will be eight. The next right. one, if that one fails, will be five. Right. And the other problem uh, with a lot of these birds are is that, um, and quail and huns are, uh, Hungarian partridge are specifically this way, where if a hen has one chick that survives, she will not renest. So if, you know, a raccoon gets in there and eats one. 13 eggs and one there's one left, she'll sit that egg and that, that, that bird will hatch and that's what she'll take care of. So that it's that's how you can see those violent swings in population where one year if everything goes right, the population just goes through the roof where they're having big clutches of twelve and they're not having a lot of chick mortality. And then the next year they have twos and threes. Mm-hmm. You know. You know, we've got ten pheasants running around right here and they eat at that deer feeder every night. Right. And they eat at stuff. Could you imagine having five hundred in your yard? They'd, no. they'd be destructive. They eat everything. They eat everything in your garden. Oh yeah. Well, and I don't know. We've done. We we have a release bird uh, pheasant hunt here, and guys do it in the afternoon. They love it. But uh, it's like an Easter egg hunt with guns. We've been doing it for twenty years. No carryover from year to year. Sure. We'll see them in the spring for turkey season. You'll you'll hear a rooster. You know, one, make his sound or whatever. One year we saw a hen and two little ones, and they were dead. Mm-hmm. And then the little ones were this big. Over but they'll the never. But that was it. We've been doing it for 25 years on the same property. Yep. No carryover from year to year. Yeah. By, by the time turkey season's over, they're gone. You know, I saw two in the ditch up the road the other day. There's and I two. just don't. And I mean, and the number that gets out up here, like you'd figure they're such a hard, they're a hardy enough animal. There would be some native, not like North Dakota, obviously, but you right. figure you'd see something carry we over. We had a cock here all, all summer. Well, yeah, but he was also eating out of the. You just figured there'd be habitat, but but you, we had right. one cock that did survive, and that's the first time I've seen well, that happen where he was here all summer long. You know, and, and the wild thing is that with especially around here, uh, with the roosters, you'd think they'd get smashed by a hawk because they stick right. out like a like yeah. like a hard dick at a lesbian convention. I mean, like <laughs> like, like they're a you know they're, they're a big giant clown colored colorful yeah, bird. Right. It's preposterous. You, yeah, yeah, you'd think that a, a chicken hawk would be like, oh motherfucker, I got <laughs> yeah, your I got ass you. now. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and I, I, my bet would be, I mean, like on the really good years, uh, when the weather's right and everything else, um, the birds can expand into places. It's not their ideal habitat, but my bet would be that it's probably, it's a, a probably too hot and it's probably a little bit too dry down here. You guys don't have the wetlands like we do. Right. I mean, you guys got enough water around, but like you see, I mean, you guys have been up there. You see a pond in North Dakota. It's got thirty yards of cattails all the way around yes, it, and yes. the whole, you know, and that's what they need. They need that nesting cover, right? And well, if, that would make sense if you don't have the nesting cover. They just they they can't do it. Poor Indians ran that country for hundreds of years. They never got to eat a pheasant one. They would have loved them. They're pretty good ditch chickens, man. Ditch, yep. ditch chickens. They are. Yep. Um, but 
And the freaking Bob White, the quail out here, it is just like this every mm-hmm. year. And it's, it's down, either, down, down all the it's time. Way, it's, yeah, like, it's, it's, da- it's down seven years in a row, and then like on the eighth year, it goes way up, and everybody's like, oh, fuck, we're going to go quail hunting again. Yep. And then it just craters the year after that. Yeah. Just, things aren't stable enough. What, what about the supplemented birds? Because I know a lot of guys that sell quail, I mean, pheasant hunts in North yeah. Dakota, and they buy birds from the same place I buy my birds. Sure. And a lot of people go up there and don't do not realize you're shooting right. – release birds with yep. the fe- wild birds yeah south dakota is really big about that too i mean out of all the pheasants that are shot in 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 south dakota every year there's a huge percentage of them that are i don't they don't call them pen rays they call them liberated uh which <laughs> Boy, that don't shock me sure, at all right, right uh they're liberated it's like yeah they yeah, sure they are they still right. got liberated fucking, they still got fucking blinders on them they were liberated three hours before you guys showed up here is yep. what they were um I'm sure that that happens. I, I mean, like, so when I, like I said that when I was growing up, uh, out by Minot, there was no pheasants out there at all. Mm-hmm. And my uncle, he, like most of us like shoot pheasants. So he started buying, you know, a couple hundred hens and roosters in the springtime and he would release them in April or May. And then with the hopes of them breeding and making wild birds. Right. And it seemed to work really well. And so he did that for a long time, for 20 years. And then as well, he was also releasing some uh, some chicks that were, uh, you know, six weeks old or seven weeks old where they're just starting to get a little hint of color on them. Right. And he'd release those sometimes in late July, and he'd release them into a standing egg field being like, well, like – they, it takes them, a, 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 again, real, star, real uh, sharp learning curve on realizing that you everything's going to try to eat you forever. <laughs> You're at the bottom of the food yeah, chain. Yeah, like everything wants to eat a pheasant. So we're going to put you into this standing canola field or wheat field or whatever, and it's going to give you your best chance of making it to adulthood. And yeah. I think that they learn pretty quick. I mean, you only have to almost get killed so many times before <laughs> you figure out that, hey, uh, we should probably just hide uh, and and not uh, and try to not get eaten for a while. But, uh, I mean, all the birds, uh, all the pheasants in the country are released at some point. It's just all about trying to get them. And I think that my uncle's formula is right, where if you can release adult birds in the spring, get them to nest and have wild chicks, that's a really good system. Right. Because then those chicks grow up from day one knowing that they're going to get eaten if they get fuck, if they fuck up. Right. Yeah, we see, we can't do that here. They wouldn't last. Right. No. Right. I no. mean, like if you get farther north in Texas and like whenever – when I usually when I'm driving down, I'll stop and I'll hunt Kansas for a few days. And right there at the Kansas-Oklahoma uh, border, like um, – like right south of the Cimarron, there's a little town up there. I always see a pile of pheasants all over the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it seems like when you get much farther south than that, there's just not enough grass and not enough habitat for them to nest. Yeah, even in the panhandle in Texas where they do pheasant hunts, you have it. They have some. They do, they have some, and I'll have some guys go, but I don't know nothing like it used to be. Right. And a lot of those people will call me. I'll have guys want to book. We want to book opening weekend. I was like, we don't have opening weekend. Today. Matter of <laughs> fact, opening weekend of pheasant season in Texas, I think, was this past weekend. Mm. That's how little fanfare it gets. I don't even know when it is. Sure. But I think it, I think it opens the first weekend in December and closes the Sunday of the second weekend. Sure. I think there's like a nine-day season on it. Right. Or one of our guides, he uh, – did did they do a family quail or a family pheasant hunt every year? Or how did that come up? You mean Blake the liberated pheasant? Yeah, guy? liberating pheasant. So he gets uh, <laughs> his pastor retired, I think is what it, or yeah. preacher retired or something like that. Anyway, he called Jeff. He's like, hey, um, I don't. It's it's a dry year in Nebraska. We don't have any pheasants, and we're gonna. I want to. I want to do. Want to buy some birds. So Jeff puts him in contact with our guy and. 
uh, the pastor, they're shooting pheasants, and he's like, man, he wasn't in on the joke. Sure. I, I just cannot believe. How tight we're, these boys these uh, are. We're, we're not man, seeing, they're holding forever. They're holding we're, not seeing, we're not seeing any hens. I mean, they're, they're holding yeah. really. They're holding nice. I mean, those hens, man, they're really holding, and I yeah. just cannot believe we hadn't seen a hen. No, it's a cocks. They're holding tight. They're holding tight yeah, today, yeah. boys. Boys and, get some good birds today. And, yeah. and then, and then like, he went all day not knowing. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, I, when I was in my 20s and I had my first bird dog, Ace, English setter, uh, I used to uh, go out and run dogs for a guy who has a preserve in North Dakota. And he'd get these bankers and business guys in from New York and Chicago and every place else. And he's like, man, is pheasant hunting like this all over North Dakota? I'm like, oh, yeah, no. it sure is. Oh, yeah. yeah, where you're going to see 300 birds and they're all going to be roosters. There's mm-hmm. no hens out there see, at all. I buy when, when my guy delivers my pheasants, he told me the other day, he said, I'm probably like 70, 30 cocks to hens because sure. they want to save the hens because they're going to breed yeah. them to have, you know. And I'm like, that's fine by me. Yeah. I don't care if I they get They taste hens. the same. Yeah, I don't care. I've anyway. eaten a hen before. <laughs> but the, yeah. it's funny the people that'll go. Uh, one of my other guys worked in South Dakota. I South think he worked Dakota. at a high dollar place. A very wealthy construction guy owned a place. He brought all his fancy bankers. Sure. And the same type deal. And they wouldn't tell the people they were released birds. Liberated. Liberated, yeah, yeah. Demo- democratic birds, we call them. <laughs> yeah. but he would go get these birds and they would go put them out every morning. You know, at five sure. o'clock, they'd put them out in the middle of the dark, and then yeah. people would be like, Wow, and I can't believe the last week of season, and yeah. we're just shooting all these yeah. roosters. Yeah. Like, how is this even possible? Yeah. It's like, ah, you know, and good hatch, yeah. And he just wants to, and but those guys only want to come out there and take the picture to put on their desk to show all their buddies how right. serious of a hunter they are, right? Correct. Like, they could yeah. give a shit, honestly. And like, I think it's just woeful ignorance where they're like, bah, it's always like this, you know, it's always a good year. It's right. like, yeah, it is when you're, you know, if you're going to pay five, ten thousand $10,000 to go to a place and go shoot pheasants, you better shoot some goddamn pheasants. Right. And yeah. you know, it's, and when you have a, you have guys out there and you're, you're like, well, I think that spot right over there looks really good <laughs> to me when everything else looks exactly the same. Yeah. Might be a really good indicator that maybe we just put 30 birds in that spot right there. You know, my, uh, I have I have clients that come here that do just pheasant hunts. Mm-hmm. They used to go to Kansas and they used to go to South Dakota and they used to go to Iowa. And that guy told me one time he goes, "We get to shoot as much or more as we do up there. Yeah, we don't drive fourteen hours and maybe get in a blizzard. Sure. Usually the weather's a little bit nicer here, and we, and we get to shoot birds. Right, that's the same thing. The weather's not as cold. We know we're going to shoot birds. And he said, now we're finding out we're shooting the same damn birds anyways. Just mostly, about. Yeah. yeah. You are shooting some wild birds. Yeah." But you're you're not you know you're it's, not having to let the hens fly. You can also shoot hens. I think here. It, I think the, a nice way that they put it is that they supplement. Yes, they supplement right. the word. It's it's a, they supplement the wild birds with non wild birds. Dude, yeah. if I could supplement geese, no shit, I would do the shit out of that every day. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're in a you're in an interesting uh, like niche where you are because you're you know you're primarily upland hunting and stuff. But you seem like a, a down to earth guy. I'm sure you. I'm sure your DM is quite uh, the oh. eclectic bunch. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm sure you know you got guys that are you know just kind of like us and your average ordinary guys. And I'm sure you got some like snooty, snooty DMs every once in a while. Yeah, I you know, and I get uh, I get a lot of messages with people asking me what I charge to to take them hunting and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, dude, I don't want to be a guide. Right. I like I'm a trigger puller. Right. Like that's that that's that's my title. Right. I, I am I am the general of the 28 gauge army and I'm a trigger puller. That's what I do. Uh I don't want to be a guide. I don't wanna uh, you know, I, I have a couple camps a year where I get to have people come up that listen to the podcast. I give away a bunch of hunts for that. And it I treat it almost like an upland hunting classroom or a master class in hunting. Mm-hmm. 
It's like, okay, this is how you go and find these kind of birds. Mm -hmm. This is what you're looking for. And then go have fun. You know, right. like, I mean, I, I, I tell everybody, I was like, you're going to see birds, whether or not you shoot birds, that's mm -hmm. not on me. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I don't want no, none of that pressure. Like right. at that point, it just, it, for me, it stops being fun sure. and it becomes, you know, pressure filled, stress, stressful. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys that you guys go through that all the time. Uh, and, but I get a ton of those guys that are sending me messages or, uh, the one, and I try my best to not look at comments because, you know, yeah. it, it can be a fucking cesspool. Um, most of the time I don't even read my YouTube comments. No. I, and I, I am, I do right now because I'm trying to reply and grow my YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, just because I'm just starting that stuff and almost all of them, like I got real tired of the comment of, Oh, you're going to have a heart attack. You should go see your cardiologist. It's like, you fucking go out there and walk <laughs> through 10 Douglas inches. Douglas Spell. Yeah. Douglas Spell. Fat shaming you. you. You go out there and walk through 10 inches of fresh snow and walk six, seven <laughs> miles up and down hills, Fuck man. Yeah, it's, it's hard. hard. Yeah. It's not easy. And, you know, I guarantee, like, my buddy who was with me, he played hockey in the NCAA. And mm -hmm. he's 30 or he's five, eight years younger than me. And he was huffing and puffing worse than I was. Yeah. I um, know if it's, if it's a negative comment, it's going to be on YouTube. Um, and they come in like waves, like yeah. I've noticed. So like we did a podcast two years ago, uh, Prince of Poachers, number two. And we used to do it in that dining room in there. Yeah. We had this TV set up, but there was there were times where I was too close to it or I couldn't see it or whatever. But anyway, Prince of Poachers, he used to poach on the King Ranch down here. And we had a map pulled up of the King Ranch and I couldn't see where he was talking about. I've got more fucking shit. Mm -hmm. Off of oh, fucking, you know, the guy that running the map and he's hijacking the interview. And it's just like, so anytime just that shut I, the fuck up. anytime <laughs> I see that that video has been commented on, I know it's negative. Yeah. And well, it's just like, fuck. And that's kind of how it got. Uh, I didn't post it on YouTube at all because it wasn't a very long clip. But that that turkey I shot out of there with the 410 this spring, right. the hate. Yes. I mean, like, and so it's it's the biggest video. Why? I don't understand Honest still, because we like, talked about that today before you got yeah. here. I still don't understand what you did that pissed people off. So, like, 90% of, of all the comments, 95% were all like, that was awesome. Like, nice shot. That looks like so much fun. All that kind of, like, super positive. Yeah. And this is on Instagram. And then there'd be those fucking fat dudes from, and now I'm now fat, fat shaming, shaming again <laughs> here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from, from, you know, Arkansas, whatever. I'm not picking on Arkansas, but wherever in the South, it probably goes and sits in a, a heated deer stand and an air conditioned Turkey blind. And, right. you know, they got everything named and they're shooting uh, turkeys that are walking in front of them. I was out there spot and stock Turkey hunting in the badlands of North Dakota. And like, I just kept on replying. I was like, was it your tag? No, right. then shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like they're all like, well, maybe if you knew how to call, I was like, dude, I wanted to go do it that way. Yeah. Like that was fun for me. I think it's way harder to do it the way it that you did hard, it. It is hard, man. Like sneaking up on a turkey dude, in wide open country. Yeah. It was hard. And I did it twice this year. The one I just ended up shooting on the ground and nobody gave a shit about that. <laughs> but when, but shooting it out of the air. I don't I don't understand. Why do they care if you shot it out of the air? I still don't get that. Well, so I had two two different schools of thought. Thought number one is that if you can't call a turkey and you have no business can shooting, can you video it, that up? Can you pull that? Video uh, up? It's on. It's on Instagram. It's yeah, it's, it's pinned it. to my videos. I think to the front. Uh, but uh, like that was the that was the first school of thought is that if you can't call a turkey and you have no business shooting a turkey, whatever. I could give a shit less about those people. Like I mean, 
like I, I started turkey hunting three years ago because I'm bored in April mm-hmm. and I have nothing else to do. And I was like, shit, I'll go give this a shot. And then the other school of thought was shooting a turkey with a 410 is is unethical because how many birds are you going to wound before you actually kill one? I was like, I shot one shell and that thing folded up like a fucking lawn chair. Yeah. Also, uh, I'm shooting boss Tom number nines and or maybe sevens. I can't remember. But uh, um, like I uh, I just got done spending two months chasing Mern's quail, which fly three times faster and are the size of that turkey's head. And I'm a pretty good shot with a shotgun. I'm pretty sure that a slow ass bird coming off the ground at 25 yards, I can hit it in the head. Right. And it's either going to be a hit. And I'm going to kill it, or it's going to be a straight-up miss. Total miss. I'm going to ask you the question people are going to ask. Is that public land? Yeah. Anybody could do it. Anybody can do that. But nobody else is doing it. Nobody else is doing it. But look right here. Set hunting back uh, two decades. This is tasteless, skillless behavior that will destroy the hunting heritage. I don't understand. I don't don't get... But but these same guys... Now, I'm not a turkey hunter, so I've got some bias here right here. Sure. I'm about as biased as you can get. I've never shot a turkey. Don't have any intention. I went turkey in one time. Yeah. I, and the guy wouldn't let me shoot. So fuck it. I, I called in a Jake. That's a turkey. Yeah, it's a turkey. Yeah, I see there. And he would let me shoot. Is it, it. Is it a legal turkey? It's, it yeah, it's a legal yeah. turkey. It would have been I'll throw the Jake him. breaks on one so fast. You <laughs> okay. have no idea. We did. We were there 10 minutes and I it was boring. The yeah. Jake's the Jake's come running up. Yeah, it was and fun. I'm like, just, you know, just wait, Jeff. We'll uh, get a bigger one. With uh and so like on this one, um, so but the like I I just posted uh, I posted it just because I thought it was cool yeah and then it went like semi virals got almost a million views or something like that and uh, like almost everybody almost everybody was like dude that is freaking awesome see I don't I, I and, still like it's like yeah who that, gives a shit that horrible took, example for hunters like I mean no no calling skills needed that you know skill. like all that kind of shit yeah but as hundred percent but as someone what that a loser way to kill yeah, a bird somebody that's not a turkey hunter. <laughs> To me, that's harder to do than it is with the, the reaping fan. Or, and I actually, as an unbiased person, I think it's interesting the guys that use the reap fan. I'm going to catch a lot of shit for that. But to, sure. if you can put some money on walk all about them, I'm with you there. Yeah. But to call a call and to have a turkey come to you is an art. I understand yeah. that. But I don't see where what you're doing should be looked upon in down any more than the, than the reaping or anything else. Right. It takes a skill to call a turkey in with a call. I'll give you that. Sure. Turkey hunters are very, very dynamic hunters, and they work hard at what they do. But to be able to stalk and walk, I've been in the woods many, many times in turkey country. I can't tell how many times, Andy, have you walked a turkey up? Never. No, they're it's always hard to gone. Do. They're yeah. fucking smart. Yeah, so once you spook them. Is what ended up happening here is we actually had another Tom that we were going to try to do this with uh, earlier in the day, and we spent all morning long trying to get on that bird and couldn't get on it. Uh, I was carrying a 12-gauge at that point. My buddy uh, Nate was also carrying a 12-gauge. He's off to the side, off to my right there. And actually, he had a shot at one, and he ended up eating. He could have shot that one right there. That one? Yeah. Uh, and I... I told him, I was like, man, I'll tell you, uh, what I'd really like to do is shoot a turkey out of the air. And he's like, dude, you're never going to get a chance to do that ever. Right. And I was they like, yeah, usually run. Unless right. you miss. And so um, we're driving to go have lunch. And three toms and two hens ran across the road. And they went up into this little, this little patch of brush here. You can see the roadway down there. And the wind was ripping down that ridge like 15 miles an hour. That's the road? Yep. And I was like, dude... We're going to be able to walk right down that ridge with the wind in our face. Mm-hmm. And it worked out so perfectly because the three hen or the two hens ran out before we got there. And I was like, oh, dude, there's nothing but boys left here. 
And uh, I was like first bird that, and when we were walking up, I could hear him running around down there in the leaf litter. I was like, they're right ahead of us. And, uh, that, that thing got up and, and hammered. I mean, like he hit the ground, he didn't even flop. I mean, you can oh, see yeah, his ass done. end sticking up in the air down there. Um, and it was, so I don't know, like my whole thought process behind the entire thing is it was my tag. I shot it the way that I wanted to shoot it. Yeah. And I don't like sit. I'm, I'm awful, <laughs> awful at sitting still. That's why you're a fucking upland. That's hunter. why I'm an upland hunter. I hate sitting in a blind. I, I don't have the patience for it to, to, to do it and be successful at it. Also, I'm a terrible Turkey caller <laughs> uh, and I don't really care to get good because I like spot and stalking them if I can. Is and, that in the Badlands? In the Badlands. Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt man hunted there. Yeah. And it was actually in the national grasslands in the Theodore Roosevelt national grasslands. So it's all public what an amazing place it is yeah and uh you know while we were out there i found an elk shed uh found a bunch of nice mule deer sheds all that kind of stuff got to watch a bobcat walk around in a little bottom you know so that's kind of the cool part about turkey hunting for me is it gets me outside to do something during a time of the year where i got nothing else to do right um i never wanted to get into turkey hunting because i wanted to become a really good caller and go out there and communicate with the birds and all that kind of shit then my other school of thought was what the hell makes a turkey so special where all other birds in across the board, it's unethical to shoot them on the ground? Right. What makes a turkey so special that you can only shoot him on the ground? Mm -hmm. Like, is it effective to let geese land in your spread and shoot him in the head? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Real effective. There's not a lot of size difference between a big, big Canada goose and a freaking turkey. Right. So what the hell makes it different? Nothing. You ever shot a pheasant running? absolutely there you go yeah i have no and like i mean like <laughs> you're a when, trigger puller i'm a trigger puller uh i drove all the way to alaska to hunt uh the the three species of ptarmigan that they got up there and when we were hunting rock ptarmigan they're called rock ptarmigan because they're that freaking smart they're smart as a rock like i was throwing my hat at them my dog's on point 20 feet behind me and they're running around on the ground in front of me and i'm throwing my hat at them i'm trying to kick them to get them to fly and i had my buddy hank shaw with uh wild game chef and they started running out there ahead of us again. They still wouldn't fly. He's like, fuck this. And he skill a shot and killed three of them. And then the other two walked over and started like picking their buddy. And I was like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, that's right. I, I, yeah. What the hell difference does it make? I mean, like, is it legal? Yes. Right. Yeah. Then shut the fuck up. How many dove you ever shot out of a tree, Andy? It's happened. It's yeah. happened. It makes you shoot better. Let me ask you this. It's harder now. to hit. But I, yeah, but I don't understand the the hatred. And you're right, though. I've never thought of it. Like, why why are the roles reversed with a turkey? Where And like you said, like, if you skillet shoot a goose, people are like, oh, if I can skillet shoot her, blah, blah, blah. But, like, turkey. Do you guys call it Arkansas on down here? They say that in Arkansas. Ar yeah. Do they? Okay. Yeah. yeah, we always call it. Oh, I'm going to Arkansas the shit out of that dog. I've heard it <laughs> called that. Skillet shooting. Yeah. Um, But that's frowned upon. You get shit. Like, if you post a video skillet shooting a, a goose that you know you're gonna catch hate but the turkey like that's the way to do it yeah it has this this mythical place in it, it's not really bird hunting mm -hmm. and it's not really big game hunting right but it's special like right. this is how we have to do this you have to go out there and you have to roost them at night then you have to go out there in the morning and you have to hoot call to them like an owl and then you have to get set up with your decoys and then maybe they're going to fly down this way, maybe not, but you can't shoot them out of the tree. Right. Even if you can sneak up to the tree, uh, you can't shoot them when they're flying. You have to get them all strutting and, and puffed mm -hmm. up and coming in because they're horny as shit. Like, this is how it has to be done. Right. It's like, why? Why I'll does it have to be done that way? I'll tell you why. People that come in and you're bitch at your stuff are jealous. No, oh, or they just, or they don't have the ambition to go out there and try it themselves. Or the, 
I think a lot of it, people just they sit at home, they get to hunt three times a year, mm-hmm. and anybody that gets to do it all the time, they're, they're they're pissed off about stuff. People come here that are pissed off where they ever get here. I'm nothing about the hunting; they're just pissed off about life in yeah. general. Yep. And they don't know how to enjoy themselves and have fun. And those same right. people sit at home and they get festered up on a keyboard bitching about everything going on in the world. Sure. And the thing that that's their their thing is the hunting deal. And if you ain't done exactly how they think it should be done, you're doing it wrong. Right. You know, they invented this or that or that. They think they did. Sure. And that, that that's the way. Well, and so it kind of happened the same way with me with my deer license this year. I didn't have it. I, I wasn't wearing my GoPro. But the way that we hunt deer in North Dakota, there's two different ways. Well, three. Uh, there is spot and stock, which is awesome. Still always going to be my favorite. Number two is you go out and you basically hunt them like pheasants. Like you go out there and you get a couple, three guys and you're pushing through, you're pushing through cattails and you're shooting running deer. Uh, and then three, which is hands down the most popular way is driving around on the roads and shooting them out your window. <laughs> a lot of deer killed in Texas that way. Oh yeah. Uh, high, high fence or high or not high fence, high racks. Yeah. On a big ranch in Texas. Yeah. That's well, the rich man's way of doing uh, it. Apparently uh, a, a driver's side mirror makes a great rifle rest because that's, that's how I bet 70% of the deer in North Dakota are shot. It's legal in Texas. It's not legal in no, North Dakota, but it, but it doesn't stop them. <laughs> if you're not on a public property, if you're on a private land on a private road, you can shoot them out of a truck. It's completely legal. Sure. But how much fun is that? Like, I mean, like, like to me, that's just, that's grocery shopping. That's mm-hmm. not hunting. Right. Like if you, and I, I got, I almost got into a fist fight with a guy uh, two years ago during deer season. Uh, we're out there and we, we spotted this deer in the morning and we're trying to put a sneak on it. And as we're sneaking, I can see a truck parked half mile away with a spotting scope on the, on, on his window, watching us and watching the deer. And that fucker was waiting for us to spook that deer out of the field and run it at him, and he was going to shoot it out of his truck. Mm-hmm. And so halfway through the spot, or through the stock, I told, I looked at my buddy Mike, and I was like, "Dude, just wait here." And he's like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I'm walking out there, and I'm going to fucking scream at this guy <laughs> because I am, I am so fed up with this kind of bullshit." And he's being smart. Sure. He's, a, he's yeah. efficient. Yeah, he's very efficient. Yeah, his steps, his steps per deer is way better than mine. <laughs> Uh, but so anyways, I start, I get, I'm walking out there clearly going to go chew this guy's ass and I get about a, 300 yards away and obviously he drives away. Of course. So we get done. I end up killing that deer. I shot that deer in the head, laying in the cattails at seven yards. Whoa. Seven yards. Jeez. And then I got uh, yelled at because people are like, oh, you can't shoot deer in the head. And it's like, it's seven yards with a scoped rifle. If I can't hit him, I got bigger problems to <laughs> bigger fish to fry than that. Um, <laughs> You know, so anyways, shoot that deer, go and we're going to go have lunch and we pull up and here's that guy's truck. Oh, and I walk inside and he's talking to all these guys about how great his hunt was this morning. And oh my gosh, I was just working so hard and I, I just had enough. And I walked up and I was like, well, you surely weren't fucking working hard when you were sitting there staring out your goddamn spotting <laughs> scope, watching us, right? waiting for us to chase this deer off posted land that we had permission on and you don't so you could shoot it. And I was like, here's the deal. What you're doing is legal, a little unethical, mm-hmm. but it's legal. I have no problem with that. But don't say you're hunting right. deer. Don't, don't blow smoke up your friend's ass yeah. to make yourself like, seem like you a great white hunter. Right. What did he say to you? He just He's like, oh, well, you don't know how much. I was like, I was there for three hours. <laughs> it is one o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> so I don't know how hard you went out there and got after it after I chased you off that deer. <laughs> uh, but I bet that it wasn't real hard. And he just kind of like started stammering. He's like, oh, and I was like, just, just, just stop. Did he kill anything? 
I have no idea. Don't care. <laughs> I, he probably shot a bigger deer than I did. I mean, shit, I don't, I don't know. But anyway, so this year, uh, I wasn't wearing GoPro, but we're out pounding a piece of CRP. And opening day, uh, deer gets up in front of me at about 20 yards. Um, I'm watching it. I'm, I wanted to really shoot a really nice deer this year uh, just because we don't get buck tags every year. It's like every other year. And uh, it's running and it's running and it's running. And you know how they got their ears pinned back when they're running. They always look a little bit bigger. It, it was a nice buck. I'll show you guys pictures. Um, but uh, it wasn't exactly the deer I wanted. But finally at 175 yards, he's running, kind of quartering away from me. I was like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to go pheasant hunting. <laughs> and I, I, I rolled him and I posted it on my story, you know, 175 shot, yard shot on a running deer. This is a deer. And the first comment. 175 yards running deer that's a non-ethical shot it's like dude i've been doing this since i was 14 right <laughs> like just just stop what about it's all it's it, it's ethical if it's something that you're comfortable with and it's also, like if, if you're taking a shot that if you're not comfortable at 175 yards sure. then maybe it's unethical sure. but if you're comfortable if that's yeah. a range you're good at yeah. then i shot a black bear in montana this spring at 504 yards yeah, but I mean, you can fine. do it. Yeah, the, the the those people though, it's the same people. If you if you go to the waterfowl forum, someone could you the biggest mistake, and you don't do this. What kind of duck is this? Sure. Then everybody's like, you shoot and shoot shit, you shoot blah blah. If the duck limit is six or five or seven, depending on what flyway you're in, right? But say it's five, and a duck comes in the decoys. It's the first duck of the morning. There ain't a fucking duck in this area that you can't shoot. That's going to be there. That's right. So well, if you the shoot odds. the one, no. What are you going to shoot? If you can shoot any duck. If it's the you first can duck. shoot a canvas no, back, you right. can shoot a, anything you want to. You can't shoot a bald eagle or a whooping crane, but you can shoot a fucking duck of every kind right. that comes in. If it turns out to be a Eurasian widgeon or yeah. a bakil teal or whatever it's called, bakil teal or whatever it is, spectacled eye or whatever it is, it's legal in Texas. Right. So get off the guy's ass for asking what he shot. Everybody's been there. Yeah. And if it was a hybrid duck of some sort. That's cool. Yeah, fuck yeah. You don't know. Oh, that was a Miller's duck. I could see it coming in. Bullshit. You, you don't know that. You don't yeah. know that when you shot it. You That's bring right. it, it comes back and you're like, oh motherfucker, I've yeah. got something special yeah. here. I thought right. it was a, a, a fucking spoonie or, we shot or whatever. A, we shot a speckle belly the other day that was white flaked all through it. Mm. The customer kept it, which I don't blame him. I would have loved to have it mounted up here. The guy took it with him. We didn't but know we that didn't it was know speckled that when we shot it until sure. it came back. It, it was just a speck, and then it's like, oh, this is a trophy. This is different. That goose right there. I was commenting on that goose right there, and we didn't know what it was. When it got shot, when yeah. you come back, it's like, oh, that's a trophy. That's mm-hmm. a special one. But, but yeah. you don't know that. But these people just bitch and gripe about stuff. But every one of them would do the same fucking thing. 100%. Yeah. And how many people do you know waterfowl hunting in the United States of America outside of Sliver of California, Oregon, and Washington is going to see a Eurasian widgeon come in and shoot it knowing it's a Eurasian widgeon? 100%. Yeah. They're going to shoot it thinking it's a widgeon. And then when they get it back, they're going to like, oh, or it'll this be in the flock shoot into a flock of widgeon. And then yeah. they bring it back like, motherfucker, I got a, I got a Eurasian widgeon. Yeah. yeah. They just, but that area up there, they're starting to shoot more of them. It's getting to be more common. People are looking for them. Yeah. But it don't happen. Right. But these people, did you see the duck, duck that Ira McCauley shot the other day? No. Did you see that one? Yeah, it was beautiful. Absolutely a stud. It's a ball plate, uh, or not ball plate. It was a, uh, what's that, piebald? Piebald. Piebald mallard. I've never seen one like this. Mm. It's a beautiful duck. And, but I didn't see one person bitch at him. Everybody's you like, oh man, cool yeah, dog. Not right. one person I didn't look at that. Thing. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, that is awesome. That but, is a, but to the but to the untrained uh I don't want to see your video, no offense to you, Ira. <laughs> you're a great guy, but um I just want to see a better picture of your duck. But I mean, uh to the untrained person, like 
Yeah, they might ask a question like, what is this? Sure. And yeah, it's that that's and all I, they I, and all they would get would all they would get would be they just get stomped on for asking like what it what kind I know it's a duck but like what is what are the specifics about this duck and people right. would just pounce on them yeah I mean obviously you can tell it's a it's a Drake Mallard other than that like just asking a question like what is this like what what the hell's wrong with this duck how and, how many ducks do you think Iris killed in his life oh, I don't know I don't the guy really but know. I bet a lot yeah yeah and that's probably the only one of these he'll ever see in his life probably it's a very rare trophy right. And it's really, really, really neat. And what happens if that was the first duck to come in in the morning and and you're like, oh, well, I can't tell if that's a pintail or, yeah. if it, or whatever. I had to let him go because he I, looked a little different. I, I, I couldn't tell what he was, so I wasn't going to shoot. Nah, I'm going to pull the trigger. Yep. But yeah. they catch my shit. All right, I, before I, we get I, out of here, I got a question for you. Sure. The weirdest thing you've ever seen, because people ask me to ask this all the time. You're all over the place. There's no telling what you've seen. What, <laughs> what, what, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen while you're out hunting? Um. So... Probably the the oddest thing. Um, I got invited down to Arizona four years ago now, I think, to hunt with Randy Newberg and those guys. They uh, get invited down by the well, they used to anyways. They don't anymore because uh, people were bitching that uh, people from Arizona were bitching that they were blowing up the hunting in Arizona too much, which I get a lot as well. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I we were hunting down there and we we're driving down this mountain road and there was a. Uh, uh, an illegal standing alongside the road that was clearly like on the verge of death. Like he was, his feet were bloody. He was starving. He was dying of thirst and he was, he waved us down. Uh, he's like border patrol, border patrol, border patrol. I was like, dude, he was I'm, wanting to get caught. Yeah. Yeah, he was in bad, bad shape. And we're 60 miles into the mountains across the border. I mean, this dude had beat to hell. And uh, he, so we, we had a, an illegal surrender to us. Uh, when we were driving the pickup, we gave them water and went and found border patrol and they went and picked them up and, and took them back. But, uh, that's probably the oddest. I mean, like we've had, uh, I've, I've been walking in a spot and like in a fresh snow and then walked out and found mountain lion tracks in my tracks before that's always an eerie feeling. Um, when I was bear hunting this spring in Montana, uh, we had, uh, I, I pulled the trigger at eight, eight fifteen. We didn't get, we didn't get it located until dark and we didn't get off the mountain until one o'clock in the morning. Ooh. And we had, uh, we had wolves ripping in the background. Jeez. That was a little bit unsettling. That was pretty cool. These are hard questions too. Cause I was on a different podcast that day and the guy asked me. What's who's the biggest? What's the weirdest person you've ever had? Or blah, blah. And I was like, <laughs> weirdest what? person you've ever had. What's who's the. Oddest Most guest. famous, the yeah. oddest. Have you ever had, you know, the strangest guest or whatever you've yeah. had? And I'm thinking, damn, these things are hard to think when you don't think yeah. about it for a while, well, just I mean, off every, the cuff. Everybody's a little quirky in their own. Have you guys ever had a, a podcast that went so bad you didn't put it out? No. Uh, yeah, Jim Kearns, because of uh, the. Yeah, we've had like technical, technical difficulties, issues, but, but we've never had no. a guest just like shit or us shit the bed. I, I always, I, I always a, put I, it on me. I've had a couple guests shit the bed. Oh, really? Bad. Yeah. Uh, I had one guy who. Uh, he, I found that anybody who lobbies to be on the podcast yeah. probably isn't going to be a real good guest. We've had a couple of those. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, mm, yeah. like now I like I started roughly the same time you guys did. I think August was five years for me. And uh, this guy's like, oh yeah, I want to come on and talk about. It. And I, I was newer and didn't have any idea what the fuck was going on. And I had him on, and 
10 minutes into the conversation, I knew that it was just an absolute abortion of a podcast already. Yeah. And I was like, so then like my morbid curiosity continues where it's like, I know I'm never going to put this out to anybody else, (laughs) but I I need to see how bad this gets. And (laughs) it was so bad. Like he was, oh, it was atrocious. Yeah. I think I've had two or three. And then I've also had people where they've, uh, you talk to them and they're great. And then they get on the microphone and they just shut down yep. and start giving like one word answers. And, and it's like, dude, I only have so many questions prepared. <laughs> like you need to help me out here a little bit because otherwise this is going to be a 14 minute podcast and yeah. I need to fill an hour and a half of content or an hour of content and you ain't going to get it done. <laughs> and it's like, and then I'll just turn it off, turn off the mic and be like, this ain't live. Right. You're not on radio. Right. Like if you say something that's incorrect or that you're embarrassed about or whatever i can take that out Mm -hmm. and so either we can just stop if you're really uncomfortable because clearly you're really uncomfortable or you need to start like just forget about the microphones just have a conversation yeah we got we got got advantage because it's us too so we can we've carried some podcasts there's been a lot that we have yeah that we've carried um but yeah you're exactly right the worst is like you ask a question and yep yep, that's the answer nope nope yep yeah i did that once and you're like Come on, man. I'm teeing you up here as best uh, I can. And you're just knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Like it's your life. Talk about it. You know it better than anybody. Right. Like, but, and that's what, but that's what we've had a lot that it's just like today. I, you know, I didn't have any questions prepared or anything, but we just sat down and shot the shit. Yeah. But that's yeah. what, that's what people enjoy. And that's what people want to hear. Like they don't, these, these, you know, you can have obviously a script to kind of base your conversation yeah. around. But the fun thing th- about these is all the side alleys and the, sure. and the tangents We'd, that you go We've down. never had an outline on any of them. Yeah. I look at that clock right there on the deal, and if I look up there and we're at 15 or 18 minutes, You it's know it's a horrible. long podcast. Yes, because yep. <laughs> usually if I look up and if it's 45, or, like when I looked up at ours, it was a 57-minute yeah. mark. It's a good podcast. Yeah, that's but right. But when I look up and it's 15 minutes, I'm like, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah you're sitting there watching the God clock. Right. Yeah. It's been a long 30 minutes to get 45 <laughs> yeah. minutes out of this well, guy. Well, and, you know, and then I, I just like you guys, I do a lot of podcasts over the phone or whatever. And if you're sitting there and your mind is wandering to things, that you, other things that you could be doing right. instead of this right now, yeah. it's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And like I, I learned at about the two year mark of podcasting, it's like, I can't fake a conversation. Right. Like I can try, I can ask questions, mm-hmm. but if you're not helping me stay engaged in the conversation, it's just not going to work. Right. And like I put a lot of those out in the first couple of years because you don't know what you the have hell you're to, doing. Well, you have to. Well, you have to. You have yeah. to put stuff out. Right. Now I'll just I'll just turn the tur- turn the uh, stop recording and I'll continue shooting the shit for a little while. If the conversation gets good, I'll turn it back on. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I'll just be like, "Yeah, this is never gonna." Like I've yeah. I've I've killed probably five in five years. We have ne- we have never had the one worst like is when they lobby to get on and then you get them on and then and boring it's as just shit. Like, yeah. You wanted to be here. Yeah, the other ones that I I have a hard time with are some of the sponsor podcasts where it's kind of one of those things where. You feel sort of like you have to, uh-huh. and then they're not entertaining, or they the the company will put up somebody that's kind of boring, mm-hmm. and it's like oh, fuck. <laughs> like I guess I kind of have to do it because you guys are paying me money, but uh, boy, I don't want to talk to this guy. You know, I've had a couple of those over the years too, where you just kind of kind of fake your way through it and grin and bear it for thirty five minutes, and you add it like. <laughs> Like I'll just if if it's a if it turns out to be a short podcast where it's bad like that where I'm just not enjoying myself like I that's what I use as a measuring stick. If I'm having fun, mm-hmm. then I under that everybody else is going to have fun. Right. 
uh, which is why I'll have some podcasts where I'm, well, I haven't done it so much anymore, but where it's me and my buddies drinking at the end of the day after we've had a good day, bad day, or otherwise. Those are always the ones that are the most fun for people to listen to because it's like, you know, you get an insight into what it's like, whether the microphones are on or not. Yeah. Uh, but if if it's going kind of bad and I'm struggling, I'll just I'll tell everybody about my week for 15, 20 minutes before in the intro. And then I'll just put that out because I'm not going to fake my way through another half hour of this bullshit. The guy right. that calls me up and says, I'm real funny. I'm a real funny guy. I'm a real, good, not I'm a real funny. funny guy. It's never, got a lot of stories. Never funny. Yeah. No. If people say they're funny, they're typically not. Yeah. So did you train your own dogs? So the way that I do it is kind of a little bit of an old school way. Uh, I just take my dogs hunting. Uh, my dogs know how to do two things. They know how to stop when I tell them to whoa, and they know how to come back when I tell them here. That's it. That's, uh, all, that's, you that's want. all the hunting. That's all the training that I do. All the rest of it is just ex- pouring them into wild birds. So I got a little seven month old setter out there in the pickup right now that she knows her name, whether she listens to it or not, is a <laughs> coin flip. Uh, but uh, you know, we've already shot almost thirty birds over her, yeah. pointing you know pointing wild birds, and you know that's just the experience that you can't teach them. You just mm-hmm. kind of got to take them and, you know, just got to trust the genetics are there uh, and let them kind of go and, and be bird dogs and figure it out on their own. And with me having the amount of time that I have uh, getting to hunt, I think this year it'll be a little over 150 days I'll spend wow. in the field uh, in seven, eight states. Um, that's a, that's that invaluable life experience that will turn them into a bird dog all on their own. Yeah, and I mean, th- there's so much to be said for that. Like, the the dogs are literally bred to do what they're doing. Right. Like, you're only, you know, you can, like with a lab, like obviously it's handy to teach hand signals and stuff like that, but the basics should be there. Right. The picking up the bird and coming back to you, you know, that should pretty much be set in stone. Yeah. It's, what, it's a Labrador retriever. It, it's right in the name. You're just stepping yep. on. You're just stepping on this animal yep. by sit. You're 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 hurting it more than you're helping it I, by, uh, by being out there and hollering at it. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I won't hunt with people that yell at their dogs <clears throat> constantly anymore because it's irritating to me. And I understand that the dog doesn't know what it's doing right and what's doing wrong. Right. Like you just need to kind of just shut your mouth and let the dog do what it's going to do, and then you can train it to do things better right. or take some out. Um, but, uh, you know, it, I had a, a guy that I know he's a bartender in Minot and I was sitting in there and he's like, man, I've been watching all your videos on Instagram and shit like that. He's like, how do you teach those dogs how to point like that? And I was like, well, you don't, it's genetic. And then he's like, what do you mean? I was like, and I sat there for a second. I was kind of trying to figure it out. And then I came up with what I feel is probably the perfect analogy. I was like, the first time you seen a penthouse, did you get a boner? <laughs> and he's like, natural. yeah. I was like, you don't, did you know why you got a boner? <laughs> no, I don't know why I got a boner. It just happened. That's why that dog That's points. Why the dog's the pointing. The dog doesn't understand what it's doing. It right. just under, it's like, oh, I smell something. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, you're in math right. class and all yeah. of a sudden you get a heart on. It just happens. Yeah. Like, you don't know why you did it. It just it's happens. It's just fucking its nature. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. The worst is when you were wearing wind, wind pants in, in math class and got a boner. You had to tuck it under the waistband. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. Terrible. Put the books <laughs> in front of your crotch. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, and I'm very laid back with my dog. Like when I send him, because most of the time I I don't have a very good bead on where, I know in the vicinity of where the bird might be, right? but it's just like, I'm going to send him and then I'm going to trust him to do what he does at 200 yards or whatever. Sure. He's going to use his nose and he's going to use his resources. Yep. To find the bird. Yeah. You always got to trust the hunter with the longest nose. Yeah. I mean, like they, they, they. You can handle them into the right area, but mm-hmm. I mean, like, so 
that's the thing that that blows my mind about labs. Uh, what you guys can train those things to do, uh-huh. because I mean, they they want to go out there and bring the bird back to you. Like that's like we were talking about. That's in their name. That's in their nature. But the amount of after like before the shot and after the shot training that you guys can do with the whistle sets and all that kind of the hand hand signals, that's 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 awesome. Uh, with pointing dogs, I kind of want my dogs to be a little bit less connected to me. You so want, right? I, like I don't want a dog that if I was walking in a straight line, I was going to find those birds anyways. Mm-hmm. I need those dogs to go out there and find them for me. Right, and then I need them to stand there until I get up there and I can shoot those birds. Mm-hmm. So it's like. With one, you want them to do exactly what you want them to do when you tell them to do it. And then with the other ones, like with mine, I took one walk this year with my short hair, Bo, who's four years old. And uh, I walked seven miles and he ran uh, 29. Oh, shit. And we ended up shooting a bunch of birds on that walk. And none of them I would have found without him. Right. Like I'm wearing a Garmin GPS watch and he's Mm -hmm. got GPS collars on. And at one point... Uh, my watch goes off and alerts me the dog standing on point and I looked down and he was 511 yards away and he stood there yeah. for 12 minutes until I walked over there. The birds went up, shot some birds. He went and fetched them, brought them back to me. And then he's out there looking again. Mm-hmm. I went to found those birds 500 yards over that, over two fucking ridges over there. To, <laughs> like I wasn't going that way. I was going this way. Yeah. And he found them way out there. Like, so it's, uh, it's the same thing, but it's different. Like mm-hmm. um, with the pointing dogs, you need them to be, uh, you need to have them have manners. But that's one of those things that I think that the birds are going to teach them better than I can teach them. Right. Like the birds are going to tell that dog, um, they realize that if I'm not part of the scenario where uh, if he can stand there and smell those birds for 10 minutes and know that they're right there and not move and not move those birds. When dad gets up here, those birds are going to flush. And then that loud stick that he carries is going to go off and a bird's going to fall out of the air. Then I get to go over and pick it up. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I'm not going to get those birds. Right. And they have to understand that, make that connection with they're out there hunting on their own, but they're hunting for you. Right. And that's, uh, you know, it's a beautiful thing when you could see it. Can they, will, will the dogs, do they, do you hunt them like in pairs a lot to where no. they, no, never. So the seven month old, you're, it's just yep. you and her. It's her. Uh, I, I will take them out for a little while when they're puppies, uh, just because the old dogs know where to look for birds, mm-hmm. whereas the puppy's just kind of being a dumb puppy and running around right. doing whatever. And if it happens to find birds, great. If it doesn't, otherwise, you know, then it doesn't. But the old dogs know what cover to go and look at. So, like, when we're walking across the prairie uh, for sharp tails, my old dog, Rusty, my setter, nine years old, he's seen thousands and thousands and thousands of birds. He's like, well, shit, that looks like a good spot over there. I'm going to go run 350 yards this way and go and check that spot out. Mm-hmm. I can let that little puppy run with him for a while. And when I stop doing that is when that dog, when the puppy is looking for where the old dog is at. Right. At that point, that's my key that now that dog is just following that dog. Right. So then it's only one dog at a time and only hunting her by herself. And some walks are going to be good walks. Some walks are going to be bad walks. She, she needs to figure that out as well. Not every time I open up the kennel, you're going to find birds because right. I hunt wild birds. Like you need to go out there and look for them on your own. You need to figure out where to look for them. And then after that, it's all instinct. Um, when can you kind of tell like if your dog is going to make it or not, like if, if it's going to be a good one. Sure. Uh, it's kind of different with every dog. They, uh, all my dogs, I've, I take them out as soon as I possibly can. So boy, you want to watch me get people mad at me here. Here we go. Uh, 
I think that uh, checking to see if a dog is gun shy is horseshit a little bit. Um, like if it's a well-bred dog genetically and you can tell at eight weeks old that the dog is bold and not afraid of anything and jumping off the porch and tackling other dogs and has confidence, it's not going to have a problem with the gun. Right. Like it, it, that's not going to be an issue. So I take my puppies out really young. So I picked up the setter at 12 weeks and I shot a bird over her at 14 weeks. And it was a bird that like, it, it, I kind of have a milk route where I know there's going to be birds. Mm-hmm. And especially in uh, September and October for huns and, and sharp tails. And I took her on a walk. I was like, I know there's three coveys of huns out here. And I took her into one spot. And sure enough, that little tail just went straight up in the air and she went on point and <laughs> held it for about four seconds and then <laughs> dove into a covey of huns. And I shot a bird for her, and she she'd never heard a gun before, right? Ever, but I knew that that wasn't an issue because yeah. she was a confident, uh, well bred dog. She wasn't afraid of anything. Uh, you know, there was no fear there in her to begin with, and so um, I'll take them out there really, really young and just let them go out and figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, boy, that probably did piss a lot of people off. Yeah. Like, there's a there's a there's an age by God that you don't you don't you don't mess with. You don't you don't you don't take that dog out till it's four months old. Bullshit. If that dog like right. if, if that dog isn't a, like and sure, like if you don't know how to read your dog and if you're gonna baby your dog and your dog's afraid of everything, you might want to take it really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but with ninety nine percent of the dogs, uh people can make them gun shy more than what's it, it's not a genetic thing. Right. Um, some dogs are just nervous and they, they're not mature enough yet to have any confidence in themselves. So, um, like by the time, and you just kind of have to trust the breeding. So like, uh, if, if that little dog that I'm talking about seven month old, if I went to senior point at all this season, I would have been okay with that because mm-hmm. I know that in the last three generations of her breeding, there's seven national champions. Right. She's going to point yeah. like it's going to happen. Yeah. It's like getting a lab from a well-known lab breeder and, and being like, I'm going to teach this dog to retrieve. No, the dog should do that on its own. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like whether it's going to do it right away or not, it's going to do it. You don't teach a dog to retrieve. That's all basic. Instincts. Yeah. It's the same with pointing. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's kind of one of those things, but, um, with, um, all my dogs, I hunt them one at a time because I hunt a lot. Right. And so my goal at the end of every day, uh, September, October, November, is I want each one of my dogs to get to go on one walk and get one bird shot over it. Mm -hmm. That's my goal Mm -hmm. every day is I want each one of those dogs to have an experience, good, bad, or otherwise, because they're going to learn as as much from the bad experiences where they took that one too many steps and the birds went up on a range or or they're going to learn from the good experiences, but I want them to have that every day with the puppies. It's more, it's, it's more important even than the old dogs. The old dogs figure that shit out by the time they're two, you know, they're like, Oh, this is just what we do. Right. Um, and then when I go to Arizona, things start getting a little bit different because the country is so much harder on them than it is up in North Dakota. They're not running through wheat fields and dirt. They're running on rocks and cactus. You worry about rattlesnakes. Um, I've only ever ran into one rattlesnake in Arizona, but my rule is that, uh, if it's over 70 degrees for a couple days in a row, I'm not going to hunt, um, because that's when the snakes are going to come back out. But I know an old rancher guy over there who's a mountain lion hunter. Uh, he's in his eighties. He still rides mules and chases lions. He's a legend. Warner Glenn's his name. I've known him since I was a kid. 
And uh, he said in his life living there in southern Arizona, he's seen less than 10 rattlesnakes after Thanksgiving in his life. Oh, right. Well, he can move here then because we could show him to him in one hot spell. Yeah. And like, I mean, they're getting bad around here when it's not at the lodge, just in this area. Sure. As soon as it warms up again, their fucking snakes are coming out. They used to did. You used to not see them at all. Right. And that's, you know, and where I'm hunting over there for Mern's quail and stuff, we're at 4,000 feet elevation. And it'll get to freezing every night. Right. And so an average day over there in December and January, it's probably going to get to 60, mm-hmm. 61, 62, but it's going to be 28 at night. Right. Those snakes aren't out. Yeah. Um, I have more problems and more worries about snakes in Montana in September chasing sage grouse than I do in Arizona. Right. Just because they haven't ended up yet. Right. right. I saw a funny meme that said, uh, welcome to Arizona where you have to dress for winter, uh, you know, in the morning, fall, midday. And then summer afternoon, and then back to winter. That's right. That's Arizona in a nutshell. That's it. Um, We'll start wrapping up here. I got to go pick up my kid. You're going to Arizona for like two months, chasing uh, scaled quail, Mern's quail. And gambles, yep. Um, Mern's quail are my favorite, hands down, because they live in these really beautiful oak-filled canyons up in the mountains. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, uh, the least likely bird that I would like because I'm fat and from the flatlands. Uh, But uh, they're they're the tightest holding game bird in North America, in my opinion. They hold forever for pointing dogs, and they live in these beautiful canyons. Have Uh, you done the, what is it, the sage grouse that uh, Douglas Mm -hmm. fell? He said those people are just like glutton for punishment, the way that they hunt. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, we hunted Montana this year for sage grouse. You can shoot two birds per day over there the whole month of September. And uh, the first day we were out, we were 14 miles into the day walking us uh, before we seen our first one. And then Jesus. on the next walk, we seen 150 and shot my limit and my buddy shot his limit and it was awesome and we remember that walk but the rest of the day sucked <laughs> so <laughs> keeps uh, you coming back yeah i mean it's you know it, it's just one of those things now i'm at the point where i've shot every uh legal game bird in north america except for chucker partridge and uh valley quail uh, where do you have to go for those uh idaho uh nevada oregon and i'm planning on doing that on my way back home from arizona end of oh, january perfect yeah well, listen, it has been a lot of fun talking to you. We've got yeah, almost two hours, so I'm Sweet. glad we did this in person. It's it's a lot better. There's, Always better. There's a lot uh, lost in translation on Skype and stuff like so that. So you're on so. your way to Arizona tonight? Yeah, I'm, I'll get someplace in New Mexico tonight. I got to pick a buddy up. He's a bush pilot, actually, from Alaska. I met him up there this last year in August. He took me flying, and, and uh, he's coming down. He's from New Mexico originally, so he's flying into Tucson tomorrow. So where are you, where are you driving to tomorrow? Tucson, then? Uh, tonight I'll drive someplace in New Mexico tomorrow. I got to pick him up at the airport in are you Tucson. you going through El Paso or are you going through Albuquerque? Uh, well, I think this one takes uh, the route here. There's two ways, one through uh, El Paso and the other one through um, basically through the middle of New Mexico, I think, like Roswell, and then kind of starts to snake into the south. So you're going to go southwest. that way. Yep. Probably. There ain't much to look at until you get to New Mexico then. No shit. Yeah. No, pretty ugly. Yeah. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Good luck. Thank Have fun guys. in Arizona. It sounds yeah, like it's going to be a great trip. Hopefully, and, uh, I'm going to shoot. I shot some cinnamon teal down there last year, jumping oh, yeah. a tank. Oh, so. that'd be awesome. The cinnamon teal and Mexican ducks. Oh, yep. You're, you're going to piss even yep. more people off. Yep. Yep. Anyway, well, God yeah. bless you, man, and have you good, safe travel, and have a great Christmas. Thank you guys for having me on. This is fun. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, before you leave, listen, it's Christmas season. You got to go buy all those uh, Christmas presents. Check out Boss Shot Shells, Dive Bomb Industries, uh, Gundog Outdoors, Dirty Duck Coffee, Ducks Unlimited, Double T British Kennels, 
Sanford Hunting Outfitters, Bangtail Whiskey, Alpha Outdoor Specialties, Looking Glass Podcast, Hunt Proof App, Lucky Duck, and Mossberg. <laughs>